Book six. Chapter one. Since, however, we have before observed that it is necessary the medium in conduct should be chosen, and neither excess nor deficiency, but the medium is to act as right reason prescribes, let us now consider what right reason is. For, in all the above-mentioned habits, as in other things, there is a certain scope, to which he who possesses reason, looking, acts with intention and remission. And there is a certain boundary of media, which we say are situated between excess and defect, and which exist conformably to right reason. Thus, to speak, however, is indeed true, but is not at all clear. For in other pursuits also, with which science is conversant, it is indeed true to say that it is not proper to labor, either more or less, nor to be indolent, but to labor moderately, and as right reason prescribes. He, however, who alone knows this, will know nothing more, as if on inquiring what kind of things are to be administered to the body, it should be said, they are such as medicine and he who possesses the medical art prescribe. Hence, it is necessary, with respect to the habits of the soul, that this should not only be truly said, but that it should also be definitely shown, what right reason is, and what is the definition of it. But we have distributed the virtues of the soul, and have said that some of them are ethical, and others dianoetical, or belonging to the discursive power of the soul. With respect to the ethical virtues, therefore, we have indeed discussed them. But with respect to the remaining virtues, these we shall discuss, after we have first spoken concerning the soul. It has, therefore, been before observed by us, that there are two parts of the soul, that which possesses reason, and that which is irrational. But now we shall make a division after the same manner of the part which possesses reason. And it must be admitted that there are two parts possessing reason. One, indeed, by which we survey those kinds of beings, the principles of which cannot subsist otherwise than they do. And the other, by which we survey things of a contingent nature. For, since the objects of knowledge are specifically different, it follows that there are, also, different species of knowledge. For it is necessary that knowledge should be similar to the thing known, and that the knowledge of that which is necessary should be necessary, but contingent of that which is contingent. For all knowledge subsists according to similitude and affinity. Since it is a certain adaptation and contact of that which is known, and that which knows. But of these parts of the soul, the one is called scientific, but the other ratiocinative. For to consult and reason are the same thing. No one, however, consults about things which cannot subsist otherwise than they do, so that the ratiocinative power is one certain part of the rational part of the soul. It must, therefore, be shown what is the best habit of each of these, for this is the virtue of each, but virtue is referred to its proper work. Chapter 2 There are, however, three things in the soul which have dominion over action and truth, viz. sense, intellect, and appetite. But of these, sense is the principle of no one action, which is evident from this, that brutes have, indeed, sense, but have no communion with action, so as to have dominion over it. What, however, affirmation and negation are in the discursive energy of the rational part, that pursuit and avoidance are in appetite, 
Hence, since ethical virtue is a habit accompanied with deliberate choice, but deliberate choice is an appetite adapted to consultation, hence it is necessary that reason should be true, and the appetite right, if the deliberate choice is good, and that the one should assert, and the other pursue the same things. This discursive energy of the soul, therefore, by which we judge that something is to be desired, is practical reason, and practical truth. But of the discursive energy of reason, which is contemplative, and neither practical nor effective, the good and the evil are truth and falsehood. For this is the work of the whole of the discursive power. The work, however, of the practical, and at the same time discursive energy of reason, is truth subsisting in concord with right appetite. The principle, therefore, of action, whence motion is derived, is deliberate choice, though this principle is not the final cause of action. But appetite, and that reason which is for the sake of something, or which is directed to the final cause, are the principles of deliberate choice. Hence, deliberate choice is not without intellect, and the discursive energy of reason, nor is it without the ethical habit. For good conduct, and the contrary to it in action, are not without the discursive energy of reason and manners. The discursive energy, however, of reason itself, does not move anything, except that which is for the sake of something, and is practical, since this has dominion over that which is effective. For every one who affects anything, does it for the sake of something, and that which is effected is not simply the end, but is a relative, and pertains to something, though this is not the case with that which is practicable. For good conduct is the end of action, but appetite is directed to the end. Hence, deliberate choice is either orectic intellect, or appetite possessing a discursive energy, and man is a principle of this kind. Nothing, however, that has been done is an object of deliberate choice. Thus, for instance, no one deliberately chooses to subvert Troy, for neither does any one deliberate about what is past, but about that which is future and contingent. But it is not possible that what has been done should not be done. Hence, Agatho says rightly, quote, All things to God are possible but one, that to undo which is already done. Close quote. Of both the intellective parts, therefore, the work is truth. Hence, those habits according to which each of these parts enunciates the truth are the virtues of both. Chapter 3 Assuming, therefore, a more elevated exordium, let us again speak concerning these virtues. Let, therefore, the habits by which the soul enunciates truth in affirming or denying be five in number. But these are art, science, prudence, wisdom, and intellect. For it is possible that both hypolepsis and opinion may assert what is false. What science, therefore, is, will be from hence evident, if it is necessary to investigate accurately, and not to follow similitudes. For all of us are of opinion that it is not possible for that which we know scientifically to subsist otherwise than it does. But with respect to things which may subsist otherwise, of these, when they are out of our view, we are ignorant whether they exist or not. The object of scientific knowledge, therefore, is from necessity. Hence it is eternal. For all beings which are simply from necessity are eternal. 
but things eternal are without generation and incorruptible. Again, all science appears to be capable of being taught, and the object of scientific knowledge may be obtained by discipline. But all doctrine is produced from things previously known, as we have said in the analytics, for it partly subsists through induction, and partly from syllogism. Induction, therefore, is indeed a principle, and the principle of universal, but syllogism is from universal. The principles, therefore, from which syllogism consists, are things of which there is no syllogism. Hence, they are obtained by induction. Science, therefore, is indeed a demonstrative habit, and such other things as we have added to the definition of it in the analytics. For, when a man believes that a thing is after a certain manner, and the principles of it are known to him, he has a scientific knowledge of that thing. For if the principles are not more known to him than the conclusion, he will have a scientific knowledge from accident. Let these things, therefore, be admitted concerning science. Chapter 4 Of that, however, which may subsist otherwise than it does, or which has a various subsistence, and is contingent, there is something which is effective, and something which is practicable. But production and action differ. Credibility, however, may be obtained concerning these things from exoteric discussions, so that the practic habit, in conjunction with reason, is different from the effective, or productive habit, in conjunction with reason. And neither are they contained by each other, for neither is action affection, nor is affection action. But since the building art is a habit effective in conjunction with reason, and neither is there any art which is not a habit effective in conjunction with reason, nor any such habit which is not art, art and habit effective in conjunction with true reason will be the same. All art, however, is conversant with generation, and machinates and contemplates in order that something may be produced which is capable either of existing or not existing, and of which the principle is in the maker, but not in the thing made. For art neither belongs to things which necessarily are, or are necessarily generated, nor to things which have a natural subsistence, for these contain in themselves the principle. Since, however, production and action are different, it is necessary that art should pertain to production, but not to action. And, after a certain manner, fortune and art are conversant with the same things, as also Agatho says, quote, Art fortune loves, and fortune art. Close quote. Art, therefore, as we have said, is a certain habit effective in conjunction with true reason, but the privation of art, on the contrary, or the inartificial habit, is a habit effective in conjunction with false reason, about that which may have a various subsistence. Chapter 5. With respect to prudence, we shall apprehend what it is, if we survey who those are whom we denominate prudent persons. It appears, therefore, to be the province of a prudent man to be able to consult well about things which are good and advantageous to him, not partially, as about what contributes to health or strength, but about what universally contributes to a happy life. But this is indicated by our calling men prudent about anything, when they reason well, with a view to some worthy end, in things in which there is no art, so that, in short, 
he who is adapted to consultation will be a prudent man no one however consults about things which cannot subsist otherwise than they do nor about things which it is impossible for him to perform hence if science indeed subsists in conjunction with demonstration but of those things of which the principles may have a various subsistence of these there is no demonstration for all these are contingent and if it is not possible to consult about things which subsist from necessity prudence will neither be science nor art it will not be science because that which is practicable may have a various subsistence and it will not be art because the genus of action is different from the genus of production it remains therefore that it is a true habit in conjunction with reason practical about human good and evil for the end of production indeed is different from the production but the end of action is not always different from action hence we are of opinion that pericles and such like persons are prudent men because they are able to survey what is good for themselves and for mankind and we also think that economists and politicians are persons of this description hence also we call temperance by this name as preserving prudence but it preserves an opinion of this kind for the delectable and the painful do not corrupt or distort every opinion such as that a triangle has or has not angles equal to two right but those opinions which pertain to what is practicable for the principles indeed of practicable things are those things for the sake of which they are performed but to him who is corrupted through pleasure or pain the principle is not immediately apparent nor does he perceive that for the sake of this and through this it is necessary to choose and perform all things for vice is destructive of the principle hence it is necessary that prudence should be a habit in conjunction with true reason practical about human good moreover of art indeed there is a virtue but of prudence there is not and in art indeed he who voluntarily errs is to be preferred to him who errs involuntarily but in prudence he who voluntarily errs is a subordinate character in the same manner as in the virtues it is evident therefore that prudence is a certain virtue and not art but since there are two parts of the rational soul prudence will be the virtue of the doxastic part or that part which forms opinions of things for both opinion and prudence are conversant with that which may have a various subsistence nor yet is prudence a habit alone in conjunction with reason of which this is an indication that there may be an oblivion of such a habit i e it may be lost through oblivion but there cannot be of prudence chapter six since however science is an assent to universals and things which have a necessary subsistence but there are principles of things demonstrable and of every science for science is accompanied with reason this being the case there will neither be science nor art nor prudence of the principle of the object of science for the object of science is demonstrable but art and prudence are conversant with things which may have a various subsistence neither therefore will wisdom be that through which this principle is known for it is the province of a wise man to have demonstration about certain things hence if the habits by which we enunciate the truth and are never deceived about things which cannot or which can have a various subsistence are science and prudence wisdom and intellect 
but no one of these three can be the habit by which we know principles, but by the three, I mean prudence, wisdom, and science, it remains that intellect is the habit by which principles are known. Chapter 7 We attribute, however, wisdom in the arts to those who are most accurately skilled in the arts. Thus we say that Phidias was a wise sculptor, and Polycletus a wise statuary. Here, therefore, we signify nothing else by wisdom than that it is the virtue of art. But, in short, we think that certain persons are wise, not partially, and that they are not anything else than wise men. As Homer says in his Margites, quote, The gods nor minor him, nor plowman made, nor wise in anything beside. Close quote so that it is evident that wisdom will be the most accurate of the sciences. Hence it is necessary that the wise man should not only know those things which are inferred from principles, or the conclusions of scientific reasoning, but that he should also perceive and enunciate the truth about principles themselves. Wisdom, therefore, will be intellect and science, and will possess as a head or summit the science of the most honorable things, i.e., of divine natures. For it would be absurd for any one to fancy that the political science, or prudence, is a thing of all others the most excellent, unless man is the best of everything the world contains. If, however, what is salubrious and good is to man one thing, and another to fishes, but that which is white and that which is straight are always the same, all men will acknowledge that a wise man is the same, but the prudent man is a mutable character. For they will say that the being is prudent who surveys what is excellent in particulars according to the nature of each, and to him they will commit these particulars. Hence also they say that some brutes are prudent, viz. such as appear to have a providential power about what pertains to their life. It is evident, however, that the political science and wisdom are not the same. For if it should be said that wisdom is that which is conversant with what is useful to mankind, there will be many kinds of wisdom. Since there is not one science which is conversant with the good of all animals, but a different science is conversant with a different good, unless indeed there is one medical science which extends to all beings. Nor is it of any consequence if it should be said that man is the most excellent of all other animals, for there are many animals naturally more divine than man, such as those most apparent beings from which the world is composed. From what has been said, therefore, it is evident that wisdom is the science and intellect of things most honorable by nature. Hence, the multitude say that Anaxagoras and Thales, and such like persons, were indeed wise, but not prudent men, in consequence of perceiving that they were ignorant of what was advantageous to them, with respect to a corporeal life. And they say that they knew indeed things superfluous and admirable, difficult and divine, but which are useless, because they did not investigate human good. Prudence, however, is conversant with human affairs, and with those things which are the subjects of consultation. For we say that this is especially the work of a prudent man, to consult well, but no one consults about things which cannot subsist otherwise than they do, nor about things of which there is not a certain end, and this practical good. He, however, simply consults well, who conjectures, by a reasoning process, what is best to man among practicable things. Nor is prudence only directed to universals, 
but it is also necessary that it should know particulars for it is practical but action is conversant with particulars hence also some persons who have only experimental knowledge without science are more adapted for practical affairs than those who possess a scientific knowledge without experience for he who knows that light flesh is easily concocted but is ignorant what flesh is light will not produce health but he will rather produce it who knows that the flesh of birds is light and salubrious prudence however is practical so that it is necessary to possess both viz a knowledge of what is to be done universally and in particular circumstances or rather the latter than the former but prudence here also i e among the practical powers will be a certain architectonic power or a power belonging to a master art chapter eight the political science however and prudence are indeed the same habit though they have not the same essence but of the science pertaining to a city the one part which is legislative is as it were architectonic prudence but the other in the same manner as particulars is denominated by a common name the political science this however is practical and occupied in consultation for a decree is a thing practicable as the extreme hence those alone who possess the political science are said to act in a political capacity for they alone act in the same manner as manual artificers that also appears to be especially prudence which a man employs about himself and about one thing and this is called by a common name prudence but of these species of prudence the one is economy another legislation and another the political science and of this last one part pertains to consultation but another is judicial for a man therefore to know his own concerns will be one species of knowledge nevertheless it possesses a great difference and he who knows things pertaining to himself and is conversant with them appears to be a prudent man but those who apply themselves to the management of public affairs are busily employed in a multitude of concerns hence also euripides says quote, how can the name of wise to me belong who might have mingled in the martial throng and vexed with business and exempt from care taking of spoils my honourable share yet chose by over-anxious thought to move the direful hate of all commanding jove Close quote. for these men explore what is good for themselves and are of opinion that it is necessary to do this from this opinion therefore it comes to pass that these men are prudent though perhaps it is not possible for a man to know his own concerns without economic and political prudence again how a man ought to manage his own affairs is a thing immanifest and requires consideration but as an indication of the truth of what has been said a youth may become a geometrician and a mathematician and may be skilled in things of this kind but it does not appear that he will be prudent the cause however of this is that prudence pertains to particulars which become known from experience but youth is without experience which is produced by length of time since this also deserves to be considered why a boy may become a mathematician but cannot be wise or a physiologist shall we say it is because mathematical objects subsist by an ablation from matter but the principles of the objects of wisdom and physiology are derived from experience 
and with respect to metaphysical principles indeed youth do not believe in but admit them but with respect to mathematical principles it is not immanifest what they are farther still error in consultation either pertains to universals or particulars for in order that a man may not drink heavy and therefore bad water it is requisite that he should know either that all heavy water is bad or that this particular water is heavy but it is evident that prudence is not science for it pertains to the extreme as we have before observed since that which is practicable is a thing of this kind it is therefore indeed opposed to intellect for intellect is conversant with terms i e universals which are the extremes upward and above which there are no other principles but prudence is conversant with the extremes downward which are particulars of which there is no science but only a sensible perception and this is not a sensible perception of peculiarities but such as that by which we perceive in mathematics that a triangle is the extreme for we stop there it is therefore rather this sense which is prudence but of that there is another species chapter nine to investigate however and to consult differ for to consult is to investigate something but it is necessary to discuss good consultation and show what it is whether it is a certain science or opinion or good conjecture or some other genus it is not therefore science for men do not investigate about things which they know but good consultation is a certain consultation and he who consults investigates and reasons neither is a good conjecture for good conjecture is without reasoning and is something which is accomplished with celerity but men consult for a long time and say that the objects of consultation ought to be performed rapidly but that consultation should be done slowly again sagacity and good consultation also differ from each other but sagacity is a certain good conjecture neither therefore is any good consultation opinion but since he who consults badly errs but he who consults well consults rightly it is evident that good consultation is a certain rectitude nor is good consultation either science or opinion for of science indeed there is no rectitude because there is no error but truth is the rectitude of opinion and at the same time everything of which there is an opinion is definite and determined nevertheless good consultation is not without reasoning it falls short therefore of dianoia or the discursive energy of reason for this is not yet enunciation since opinion is not investigation but is now a certain enunciation he however who consults whether he consults well or ill investigates something and reasons but good consultation is a certain rectitude of consultation on which account it must in the first place be inquired what consultation is and with what it is conversant since however rectitude is multifariously predicated it is evident that not every rectitude is good consultation for the incontinent and the bad man obtain from reasoning that which they propose to see so that they will have consulted rightly but have procured for themselves a great evil but to have consulted well appears to be a certain good for such a rectitude of consultation as becomes the mean of obtaining good is good consultation good however may be obtained by false reasoning and a man indeed 
may obtain that which ought to be done, yet not through a proper medium, but the middle term may be false. Hence, neither will that be good consultation according to which that is obtained which ought to be obtained, yet not through a proper medium. Further still, it is possible that one man may obtain the object of his wishes by consulting for a long time, but another by consulting rapidly. Hence, neither is that yet good consultation, but the rectitude which subsists according to utility, and to what is proper, and as and when it is proper. Again, it is possible simply to consult well, and also with a view to a certain end. Good consultation, therefore, simply is that which proceeds with rectitude to an end simply. But a certain good consultation is that which proceeds with rectitude to a certain end. Hence, if to consult well is the province of prudent men, good consultation will be a rectitude according to utility, with a view to a certain end, of which prudence is the true hypothesis. Chapter 10. Intelligence, however, and the privation of intelligence, according to which we denominate men intelligent or unintelligent, is neither wholly the same with science or opinion. For, if it were, all men would be intelligent. Nor is intelligence some one of the particular sciences, such as medicine, for it would be conversant with health, or geometry, for it would be conversant with magnitudes. For neither is intelligence conversant with things which always are, and are immovable, nor with things which are passing into existence, but with those which may be the subject of doubt and consultation. Hence it is conversant with the same things as prudence. Yet intelligence and prudence are not the same. For prudence, indeed, is of a commanding nature. For the end of it is what ought or what ought not to be done. But intelligence is alone of a judiciary nature. For intelligence is the same as right intelligence since intelligent men are also rightly intelligent. Intelligence, however, is neither the possession nor the acquisition of prudence, but, as he who learns, is said to understand what he learns when he uses science. The like also takes place in the use of opinion in forming a judgment of those things with which prudence is conversant, and judging of them well, when another person is speaking. For what is well is the same with what is beautifully done and hence the name intelligence was derived, according to which men are said to be rightly intelligent, viz. from intelligence in learning. For we frequently use the verb to learn as equivalent to the verb to understand. Chapter 11. But what is called upright decision, according to which we say that men decide rightly, is the right judgment of the equitable man. As an indication of this, however, we say that the equitable man is especially inclined to pardon others, and that it is equitable to pardon certain things. But pardon is an upright judiciary decision of the equitable man, and the decision is upright, which is made by a man observant of truth. All these habits, however, reasonably tend to the same thing. For we speak of upright decision, intelligence, prudence, and intellect, with reference to the same persons, when we say that they are men of upright decision, are endued with intellect, are prudent and intelligent. For all these powers pertain to the extremes downward, and to particulars. And an intelligent man, and one who decides rightly, or a man disposed to pardon, will be one who possesses a judiciary power about things with which the prudent man is conversant. For things of an equitable nature are common to all good men, in their intercourse with others. 
every thing however of a practicable nature pertains to particulars and the downward extremes for it is necessary that a prudent man should have a knowledge of these and intelligence and equitable decision are conversant with things of a practicable nature but these are extremes and intellect pertains both to the upward and downward extremes for intellect and not the discurse of energy of reason is conversant with both first and last terms i e with universal principles the one indeed i e the intellect which is the principle of the demonstrative sciences is conversant with immutable and first terms but the intellect which is occupied in practical affairs or which is the principle of prudence is conversant with the extreme and with that which is contingent and the other proposition for these are the principles of that for the sake of which a thing is done or the final cause for universal is from particulars of these therefore it is necessary to have a sensible perception but this is the practical intellect hence these habits appear to be natural and no one indeed is wise by nature but every one possesses naturally the power of deciding rightly together with intelligence and intellect but as an indication of this we are of opinion that these habits are attendants on the ages of the life of men and we say that this age i e old age possesses intellect and upright decision as if nature were the cause of this hence also intellect is both the principle and the end for from these demonstrations are framed and with these they are conversant hence in practical affairs it is no less necessary to attend to the undemonstrated assertions and opinions of elderly or prudent men than to demonstrations for in consequence of possessing an eye from experience they perceive the principles of things of a practicable nature and thus we have shown what wisdom and prudence are and with what particulars each is conversant and that each is the virtue of a different part of the soul chapter twelve some one however may doubt concerning these in what their utility consists for wisdom indeed contemplates none of those things from which man will obtain felicity since it is not conversant with any thing which is in generation or which is becoming to be or passing into existence but prudence indeed does consider those things from which human felicity is derived yet on what account is it necessary that it should since prudence is conversant with just and beautiful things and which are good to man we do not however become at all more practically virtuous by knowing these things since the virtues are habits as neither are things said to be salubrious or to conduce to a good habit of body because they have an active power but because they proceed from habit for we are not at all more practical from possessing the medical or gymnastic art but if a man is not to be considered as prudent for the sake of these things but for the sake of becoming worthy they will not be at all useful to those who are worthy again neither will prudence be useful to those who are not worthy for it is of no consequence whether they are prudent or are persuaded by others that are since this will be sufficient in the same manner as in what pertains to health for when we wish to be well we do not at the same time learn the medical art to which we may add that it will appear to be absurd that prudence which is subordinate to wisdom should possess a greater authority for that which is effective governs and presides in everything these things therefore must be discussed 
for now the doubt is concerning them alone. In the first place, therefore, we say that these virtues, wisdom and prudence, are necessarily eligible per se, since they are the virtues of each part of the soul, though neither of them should affect anything. In the next place, they do indeed affect something, yet not in the same manner as medicine produces health, but as health produces the energies of a good habit of body. Thus also wisdom produces felicity. For, being a part of the whole of virtue, by the possession and the energy of it, it renders a man happy. Farther still, the work is accomplished by prudence and ethical virtue, for virtue renders the scope proposed by the agent right, but prudence gives rectitude to things which tend to the scope. A virtue, however, of this kind does not belong to the fourth, or nutritive part of the soul, because its energies are not in our power, nor are rational, either essentially or by participation. But with respect to our not being at all more adapted to the practice of things beautiful and just, through prudence, in answer to this objection, we must begin a little higher, assuming the following principle. For, as we say that certain persons who perform just things are not yet just, such as those who do what is ordered by the laws, either unwillingly, or from ignorance, or from some other cause, and not on account of the things themselves, though they do those things which ought to be done, and such as a worthy man ought to do. Thus also, as it seems, it is possible to do everything with a certain disposition of mind, so as to be a good man. I mean, for instance, that it is possible to do everything with which virtue is concerned, from deliberate choice, and for the sake of the things which are done. Virtue, therefore, produces a right deliberate choice, but it is not the business of virtue, but of some other power, to render the deliberate choice disposed to embrace what truly contributes to the end. It is requisite, however, to speak more clearly on this subject. There is, therefore, a certain power which is called skill, but this is a power of such a kind, that by its assistance those things may be performed and obtained which contribute to the proposed scope. And if, indeed, the scope is beautiful, this power is laudable. But if the scope is bad, this power becomes craft, on which account also we say that prudent men are skilful, and not crafty. Prudence, however, is not this power, yet does not subsist without it. But habit is not acquired by this eye of the soul without virtue, as we have said and is evident. For the syllogisms of practical affairs rank as a principle, since the end is a thing of this kind, and that which is best, whatever it may be. Let the end, for instance, be something casual, but this is not apparent except to a good man, for depravity distorts the judgment, and produces deception about the practical principles. Hence it is evident that it is impossible for any one to be a prudent, unless he is a good man. Chapter 13 Again, therefore, let us direct our attention to virtue. For, as prudence is not the same, indeed, but is similar to sagacity, thus also natural virtue subsists similarly, with reference to that which is properly so called. For, the several manners appear to all men to subsist in a certain respect naturally, since we are just and temperate and brave and possess the other virtues immediately from our birth. At the same time, however, we investigate something else, as that which is properly good, and are of opinion that such like virtues are inherent after another manner. For the physical habits are inherent in children and brutes, but they are seen to be noxious without intellect. Thus much, indeed, is apparent 
that as it happens that a strong body which is moved without sight very much errs in its motions in consequence of being deprived of sight this likewise is the case here with respect to the physical virtues but if the possessor of these virtues obtains intellect also he will excel in his actions the habit however being similar will then be properly virtue hence as in the doxastic part of the soul or that part which is characterized by opinion there are two species skill and prudence thus also in the ethical part there are two species one of which is physical virtue but the other is virtue properly so called and of these virtue properly so called is not without prudence hence it is said that all the virtues are prudence and socrates indeed investigated partly with rectitude and partly with error for because he thought that all the virtues are prudences he erred but it is well said by him that the virtues are not without prudence but as an indication of this all men now when they define virtue add to the definition habit and that they energize according to right reason and right reason is that which subsists according to prudence all men therefore appear in a certain respect to prophesy that a habit of this kind which subsists according to prudence is virtue it is necessary however to change in a small degree the definition for not only a habit according to right reason but also a habit in conjunction with right reason is virtue but prudence is right reason energizing about things of this kind socrates therefore thought that the virtues indeed were reasons because all of them are sciences but we think that they subsist in conjunction with reason hence it is evident from what has been said that it is not possible to be a good man properly without prudence nor a prudent man without ethical virtue after this manner also the reasoning may be dissolved by which some one may contend that the virtues are separated from each other for the same person is not naturally well adapted to all the virtues hence he has now obtained this but not yet that virtue for this may indeed happen according to the physical virtues but is not possible in those virtues according to which a man is said to be simply a good man for all the virtues are present at the same time that prudence which is one virtue is present but it is evident that though prudence were not a practical thing it would be necessary because it is the virtue of a part of the soul and because deliberate choice will not be right without prudence nor without virtue for one of these is the end but the other causes us to do things which contribute to the end prudence however neither has dominion over wisdom nor over the better part of the soul as neither has the medical science dominion over health for it does not use health but considers how it may be obtained it prescribes therefore for the sake of health but has no dominion over it again to say that prudence rules over wisdom is just as if some one should say that the political science rules over the gods because it orders everything which is done in the city end of book six chapter one after these things making another beginning it must be observed by us that there are three species of things which are to be avoided in manners viz vice incontinence and brutality but the contraries to two of these are indeed evident for we call one of the contraries virtue and the other continence to brutality however it will be most appropriate to say that the virtue is opposed 
which is a certain heroical and divine virtue as homer represents priam saying of hector that he was a very good man Quote, wretch that i am my bravest offspring slain you the disgrace of priam's house remain mestor the brave renowned in ranks of war with troilus dreadful in his rushing car and last great hector more than man divine for sure he seemed not of terrestrial line hence if as it is said men from being men become gods through excess of virtue the habit which is opposed to a brutal habit will indeed be such as this for as there is neither the vice nor virtue of a brute so neither is there of a god but the one habit indeed is more honourable than virtue and the other is of a different genus from vice since however the existence of a divine man is rare bracket, just as the lacedaemonians when they very much admire a man are accustomed to say o oh, divine man Close bracket. thus also the brutal nature is rare among men but when it does exist it is principally found among the barbarians some men however become brutalized through diseases and mutilations of the body and we thus denominate by a defamatory appellation those who surpass other men in vice but of such a disposition of the soul as this we shall hereafter make mention and we have before spoken concerning vice let us now therefore speak concerning incontinence and effeminacy and luxury and concerning their opposites continence and endurance for each of these must not be considered as if they were the same habits with virtue and vice nor yet as if they were of a genus different from them it is necessary however as we have done in other things having first premised what is apparent i e what is commonly admitted as true and proposed doubts in the next place to show everything which is especially probable about these passions but if not everything at least the greater part and the principal for if such doubts as are difficult are dissolved and those things which are probable are left we shall have sufficiently accomplished our purpose continence therefore and endurance appear to be among the number of worthy and laudable things but incontinence and effeminacy among the number of things bad and blamable and the continent man and he who abides in the decision of reason are the same person and the incontinent man is the same with him who departs from the decision of reason and the incontinent man indeed knowing that the things are bad does them through passion but the continent man knowing that desires are bad does not follow them in consequence of being obedient to reason and all men indeed admit that the temperate man is continent and possesses the virtue of endurance but with respect to a man of this description some say that he is in every respect temperate but others say that he is not and some confusedly say that the intemperate man is incontinent and the incontinent man is intemperate but others say that they differ from each other but with respect to the prudent man sometimes they say that he cannot be incontinent 
and sometimes that certain persons who are prudent and skilful are incontinent and farther still men are said to be incontinent of anger of honour and of gain such therefore are the assertions concerning continence and incontinence chapter two it may however be doubted how he who thinks rightly can act incontinently some say therefore that it is impossible for a man to act incontinently who knows that he ought not for it would be a dreadful thing when science is inherent as socrates thought that anything else should have dominion and draw the man about like a slave for socrates in short opposed reason by this opinion as if there were no such thing as incontinence since he said that no one acted contrary to what he apprehended it was best to do except from ignorance of what was best this assertion therefore is adverse to those things which are clearly apparent and it is requisite to inquire concerning the passion if any one acts incontinently through ignorance what the mode of this ignorance is for it is evident that he who acts incontinently does not think he ought so to act till he is under the influence of the passion there are however certain persons who admit some of these things but not others for they grant indeed that nothing is better than science but they do not admit that no one acts contrary to what appears to him to be better and on this account they say that the incontinent man not having science but opinion is vanquished by pleasures if however it is opinion and neither science nor a strong but a weak hypolepsis which resists as it is in those who are dubious pardon is to be granted to him who yields to strong desires but improbity is not to be pardoned nor anything else which is blamable the incontinent man therefore is vanquished by desire prudence at the same time resisting for this is most strong but this is absurd for the same person will be at the same time prudent and incontinent no one however will say that it is the province of a prudent man to perform voluntarily the most base actions to which may be added what we have before shown that the prudent is a practical man for he is conversant with particulars and possesses the other virtues again if the continent man consists in having strong and base desires the temperate man will not be a continent man nor the continent a temperate man for it is not the province of the temperate man to have too much desire or to have base desires but it would be requisite that he should if this were admitted for if indeed the desires are good the habit which prevents a man from following them is bad so that not all continence will be good if however the desires are weak but not bad there is nothing venerable in continence and if they are bad and weak there is nothing great in it farther still if continence gives permanency to every opinion and even to false opinion it is a bad thing and if incontinence produces a departure from every opinion there will be a certain incontinence which is good such as that of neoptolemus in the philoctetes of sophocles for he is to be praised for not persevering in what he was persuaded to do by ulysses 
because it was painful to him to lie. Again, that reasoning of the sophists, which is denominated lying, or dissembling, is perplexed with doubt. For with these men, in consequence of wishing to produce an assent to paradoxes, in order that, when they obtain their end, they may appear to be skilful persons, the syllogism formed by their reasoning becomes very dubious. For the discursive energy of reason is bound, when the person whose assent they wish to procure is unwilling to persist, because the conclusion does not please him, but is unable to proceed, because he cannot dissolve the argument. From a certain reason, however, it may happen that imprudence, together with incontinence, is a virtue. For a man, through incontinence, may do the contrary to what he apprehends ought to be done. But he apprehends that good things are evil, and that they ought not to be done. Hence, he will do what is good, and not what is evil. Again, he who performs and pursues what is delectable, in consequence of being persuaded, and deliberately choosing so to do, will appear to be a better character than the man who does so, not from reasoning, but from incontinence. For he may be more easily cured, because he may be induced to change his opinion. But the incontinent man is obnoxious to the proverb, in which we say, quote, When water suffocates, what occasion is there to drink? Close quote. For if, indeed, he were persuaded to do what he did, if he had been induced to change his opinion, he would have desisted. But now, not being persuaded, he nevertheless acts in this manner. Farther still, if incontinence and continence are conversant with all things, who is the man that is simply incontinent? For no one has every species of incontinence, and we say that some persons are simply incontinent. Such, therefore, are the doubts which happen on this subject. But of these, it is necessary to take away some, and to leave others, for the solution of a doubt is the discovery of what is investigated. Chapter 3 In the first place, therefore, it must be considered whether the incontinent act knowingly or not, and in what manner they act knowingly. In the next place, with what kind of things the incontinent and the continent man are conversant. I mean, whether they are conversant with all pleasure and pain, or with certain definite pleasures and pains, and whether the continent and the enduring man are the same, or different characters. And, in a similar manner, we must consider such other things as are allied to this theory. The beginning, however, of the speculation is, whether the continent and incontinent man differ in the things with which they are conversant, or in the mode in which they are conversant with them. My meaning is this, whether the incontinent man is alone incontinent, or not, because he is conversant with these particular things, or whether it is because he is thus affected, or not, or whether it is from both of these. In the next place, whether incontinence and continence are conversant with all things, or not. For he who is simply incontinent is not conversant with all things, but with those things with which the intemperate man is conversant. Nor is he denominated incontinent from being simply affected towards these. For, if he were, incontinence would be the same with intemperance. 
but from being affected towards them in this particular manner for the intemperate man indeed is led by his desires from deliberate choice thinking that it is always necessary to pursue the present delight but the incontinent man does not think this is necessary yet pursues it with respect therefore to the assertion that it is true opinion and not science through which men act incontinently it is of no consequence to the present discussion for some of those who form opinions of things entertain no doubt of their truth but think that they know accurately if therefore those who form an opinion act in a greater degree contrary to their opinion than those who have a scientific knowledge because they believe negligently science will in no respect differ from opinion for some persons believe no less firmly in things of which they form an opinion than others in things which they know scientifically but this is evident from heraclitus since however we say that a man knows scientifically in a twofold respect for both he who possesses science indeed but does not use it and he who uses it are said to have scientific knowledge it makes a difference whether a man possessing science but not contemplating does what he ought not to do or whether possessing science and contemplating he acts improperly for this appears to be absurd but it is not if he does not contemplate again since there are two modes of propositions i e universal and particular propositions nothing hinders but that he who possesses both these may act contrary to science using indeed the universal proposition but not the particular one for particulars are practicable there is a difference also as to the universal for one difference indeed is in the man himself but the other is in the thing thus for instance a man may know that dry food is beneficial to every man and that this person is a man or that a thing of such a kind is dry food but whether this is a thing of such a kind he either does not know or he does not energize as if he did know there is an immense difference therefore according to these modes so that no absurdity follows for a man thus to know but for him to know in any other way it would be wonderful farther still science may be inherent in men in a way different from that which we have just now mentioned for we see that habit differs in possessing indeed but not using science so that a man possesses in a certain respect and does not possess science as is the case with him who is asleep or insane or intoxicated but in this way men are disposed who are under the influence of the passions for anger and the desire of venereal pleasures and certain other things of this kind evidently produce a change in the body and in some persons also they produce insanity it is manifest therefore that the incontinent man must be said to be affected similarly to these persons nor is it any indication of the contrary if such persons utter sentences which are the progeny of science for those who are under the influence of these passions will recite demonstrations and the verses of empedocles and those who first learn a science connect indeed the words but do not yet know their meaning 
for it is necessary that science should increase with advancing age but this requires time hence it must be admitted that the incontinent speak after the manner of players i e without attending to the meaning of what they say again the cause of this may also be physically surveyed as follows opinion indeed is either universal or particular of which latter sense is now the mistress but when one reason is produced from both these it is necessary that so far as pertains to theory the soul should enunciate the conclusion but so far as pertains to practice should immediately act thus for instance if every sweet thing ought to be tasted but this thing is sweet as being some one of particulars it necessarily follows that he who is able and is not impeded must at the same time that he says this act i e taste the sweet thing when therefore the universal proposition is indeed inherent which prohibits a thing from being tasted but another proposition says that everything which is sweet is delectable and another that this particular thing is sweet and this causes the man to energize and when also desire happens to be inherent then the universal proposition indeed says this thing is to be avoided but desire leads to the fruition of it for each of the parts of the soul is able to move or excite hence it happens that a man acts incontinently both from reason in a certain respect and opinion though opinion is not essentially but from accident contrary to reason for desire but not opinion is contrary to right reason hence on this account also brutes are not incontinent because they have not a perception of universal but an imagination and memory of particulars with respect to the manner however in which ignorance is dissolved and the incontinent man again becomes in possession of scientific knowledge the reasoning is the same as concerning him who is intoxicated or asleep and is not peculiar to this passion but the explanation of it must be obtained from physiologists because however the last proposition is the opinion of the sensible object and is the mistress of actions he who is under the influence of passion either has not this proposition or he has it in such a way that from possessing he has not a scientific knowledge of it but merely enunciates it just as he who is intoxicated recites the verses of empedocles and likewise because the last proposition is not universal and does not appear to be similarly scientific with the proposition which is universal that also which socrates investigated appears in this case to happen for the passion is not produced when that which is science properly so called is seen to be present nor is this science drawn about so as to cooperate with passion but this must be asserted of the sensitive power and thus much concerning the knowledge and ignorance of the incontinent man and how he may act incontinently accompanied with knowledge chapter four but whether any one is simply incontinent or all that are incontinent are partially so and if there is any one who is simply incontinent what the things are 
with which he is conversant must in the next place be shown by us that the continent therefore and men of endurance and the incontinent and effeminate are conversant with pleasures and pains is evident of those things however which produce pleasure some indeed are necessary but others though they are eligible of themselves yet have excess but necessaries indeed are things which have reference to the body i mean such things as pertain to food and the use of venereal pleasures and such like corporeal concerns about which we place intemperance and temperance other things however are not indeed necessary yet are eligible of themselves i mean such as victory honour wealth and such like good and delectable things those therefore who exceed in these contrary to the right reason which is in them we do not indeed denominate simply incontinent but with an addition we call them incontinent of riches of gain of honour and of anger but we do not call them simply incontinent as being different from those that are so and denominated from similitude just as the name of a certain person who was victorious in the olympic games was anthropos i e man for he had as a proper the common name of man and yet at the same time he was different from man universal or the species man as being an individual as an indication of this incontinence indeed is blamed not only as an error but also as a certain vice either simply or partially but no one blames those who are incontinent of honour or gain etc as simply bad with respect however to those who are conversant with corporeal enjoyments with which we say the temperate and intemperate man are conversant he who without deliberate choice pursues the excesses of delectable and avoids the excesses of painful things viz hunger and thirst heat and cold and everything pertaining to the touch and the taste yet contrary to deliberate choice and the reasoning power is called incontinent not with an addition of this or that thing as of anger but he is only simply called incontinent but as an indication of this those who are conversant with the one are called effeminate but not those who are conversant with the other hence we arrange the incontinent and intemperate and also the continent and temperate man in the same class but not those who are incontinent of honour or gain etc because they are in a certain respect conversant with the same pleasures and pains though however they are conversant with the same things yet not after the same manner for the intemperate indeed pursue depraved pleasures from deliberate choice but the incontinent do not hence we rather call him intemperate who either not at all desiring or desiring slightly pursues excessive pleasures and avoids moderate pains than him who pursues the one and avoids the other in consequence of being influenced by vehement desire for what would the former character do if he were impelled by robust desire and suffered violent pain from the want of necessary things since however of desires and pleasures some rank in the genus of things beautiful and worthy 
for of things delectable some are naturally eligible others are contrary to these and others have an intermediate subsistence agreeably to the division we have before made and these last are such as riches gain victory and honour in all these therefore and things of the like kind and in those that have an intermediate subsistence men are not blamed for being merely influenced by the passions and for desiring and loving but for the manner in which they are influenced by them and for indulging them to excess hence with respect to those who are vanquished by the passions or pursue anything naturally beautiful and good contrary to reason such as those who pursue honour more than is proper or are irrationally attached to their parents and children for these also rank among the number of things that are good and those who pay attention to these are praised yet there is at the same time a certain excess even in these things if any one like niobe contends about them even with the gods or like satyrus who for his attachment to his father was called philopator for he appeared through this attachment to be very infatuated there is therefore no depravity indeed in these things for the reason already assigned because each of these things is naturally eligible of itself but the excesses of them are bad and are to be avoided this however is not the case with incontinence for incontinence is not only to be avoided but is also among the number of blamable things but from the similitude of the passion in speaking about each of these it is usual to add the term incontinence just as we say that a man is a bad physician or a bad player whom we should not simply call a bad man as therefore we do not here call these simply bad men because each of these is not a vice but similar to vice from analogy so likewise there viz in the immoderate pursuit of honour gain etc those things only are to be considered as incontinence and continence which are conversant with the same things as temperance and intemperance but with respect to incontinence and anger we speak of it from similitude hence also by making an addition we say that a man is incontinent of anger just as we say that he is incontinent of honour or gain chapter five since however some things are naturally delectable and of these some are simply so but others to the genera of animals and men but other things are not naturally delectable but some things are pleasing in consequence of mutilations and others are so partly from custom and partly from depraved natures this being the case similar habits may be perceived in each of these but by savage habits i mean such a habit as that of the woman who is said to have cut open the bellies of pregnant women and to have devoured the fetus or such habits as certain savage nations about pontus are said to possess for of these some are delighted to feed on raw and others on human flesh and others at banquets feast each other with their own children or such a habit as phalaris is said to have possessed for he is reported to have eaten his own son these habits therefore are savage some of these habits however are produced in certain persons from disease and insanity 
as was the case with him who immolated and ate his mother and also with him who ate the liver of his fellow-servant but other savage habits either originate from disease or from custom such as evulsions of the hairs biting the nails and besides these eating coals and earth to which may be added the venereal connection of males with males for these habits are produced in some persons by nature but in others from custom as being accustomed to them from childhood no one therefore would call those in whom nature is the cause of these habits incontinent as neither are women called incontinent because in the venereal connection they are not active but passive and in a similar manner those are not called incontinent who are in a diseased condition from custom the possession therefore of each of these is something beyond the boundaries of vice in the same manner as a savage nature but when possessing these propensities to subdue or be subdued by them is not simple continence or incontinence but is only so from similitude just as he who subsists after this manner with respect to anger is incontinent of this passion but passion is not to be called incontinent for every vice folly timidity intemperance and ferocity when excessive is either savage or the effect of disease for he who is naturally so disposed as to be afraid of everything even though a mouse should make a noise is timid according to a savage timidity but he who is afraid of a cat is timid from disease and among the number of the stupid those who are most irrational from nature and live only from sense resemble savage animals as is the case with some nations of remote barbarians but those who are so from disease such as epilepsy or insanity these are in a morbid state it is however possible that some one may sometimes possess these habits and yet not be vanquished by them i mean as if for instance phalaris desiring to eat his son should refrain from so doing or should abstain from absurd venereal pleasure and it is not only possible to have these propensities but also to be vanquished by them as therefore with respect to depravity that which pertains to a man is simply said to be depravity but that which subsists with an addition is said to be a savage or diseased depravity but is not simple depravity after the same manner with respect to incontinence it is evident that one kind is savage but another the effect of disease while that alone is simply incontinence which subsists according to human intemperance it is evident therefore that incontinence and continence are alone conversant with those things with which intemperance and temperance are conversant and that another species of incontinence subsists about other things which is denominated metaphorically and not simply chapter six let us however now consider whether the incontinence of anger is not less base than the incontinence of desires for anger indeed seems to hear something of reason but to hear it negligently just like hasty servants who run away before they have heard the whole of what is said to them and thus err in the performance of what they are ordered to do or like dogs who bark at a noise alone 
before they perceive whether he who makes it is a friend or not. Thus also anger, through the heat and celerity of its nature, hears indeed reason, but does not hear its mandates, in consequence of impetuously tending to vengeance. For reason, indeed, or the imagination, renders it evident that something has been done attended with insolence or contempt. But anger, as if syllogistically concluding that it is necessary to be hostile to one who has acted in this manner, is immediately enraged. Desire, however, if sense or reason corrupted by sense, only says that a thing is delectable, rushes to the enjoyment of it. Hence, anger, in a certain respect, follows reason, but desire does not. Desire, therefore, is more base than anger. For he who is incontinent of anger is, after a manner, vanquished by reason. But he who is incontinent of desire is subdued by desire, and not by reason. Again, it is more pardonable to follow the natural appetites, since such desires, as are common to all men, are more pardonable, and so far as they are common. But anger and asperity are more natural than desires which are excessive, and which are not necessary. Thus one who was accused of striking his father said, as an apology for it, that his own father, and even his grandfather, committed the same fault. And pointing to his child, he likewise said, he will strike me when he becomes a man, for this is a family failing. A certain person also, being dragged about by his son, ordered him to stop at the gates of his house, for he likewise had dragged his father as far as to that place. Farther still, those who act more insidiously are more unjust. The irascible man, therefore, is not insidious, nor is anger, but he is open in what he does. Desire, however, is fraudulent, as it is said of Venus, quote, the Cyprian goddess skilled in weaving wiles, and as Homer says, speaking of her cestus, in this was every art and every charm to win the wisest and the coldest warm, fond love, the gentle vow, the gay desire, the kind deceit, the still reviving fire, persuasive speech, and more persuasive sighs. Silence that spoke, and eloquence of eyes. Hence, if this incontinence is more unjust, it is also more base than that which pertains to anger, and this is simply incontinence, and in a certain respect vice. Again, no one who is pained acts insolently, i.e., lasciviously, towards another person, but every one who acts from the impulse of anger acts with pain. He, however, who conducts himself insolently towards another, acts with pleasure. If, therefore, those things with which it is especially just to be angry are more unjust, the incontinence also which subsists through desire is more unjust, for anger is not attended with insolence. Hence, it is evident that the incontinence which is conversant with desires is more base than that which is conversant with anger and, also, that continence and incontinence are conversant with corporeal pleasures. The differences, however, of these must be assumed. For, as we said in the beginning, some desires are human and natural, 
both in their genus and magnitude, but others are savage, and others subsist from mutilations and diseases. But with the first of these, temperance and intemperance are alone conversant. Hence, we neither call brutes temperate, nor intemperate, except metaphorically, though one genus of animals differs in short from another, in insolence, in salaciousness, and in veracity. For they have neither any deliberate choice, nor reasoning process, but they revolt from nature, in the same manner as insane men. Ferocity, however, is a less evil than vice, but it is more terrible, for that which is most excellent is not corrupted through this, as it is in men, but those that labor under this malady are deprived of it, i.e. of reason. It is just, therefore, as if that which is inanimate should be compared with that which is animated, in order to know which of the two is the worse. For the improbity is always more innoxious, which is without a principle, but intellect is a principle. Hence a similar thing takes place, as if injustice should be compared with an unjust man. For it is possible that the one may be worse than the other, for a bad man may be the cause of an infinitely greater number of evils than a brute. Chapter 7 With respect, however, to the pleasures and pains which subsist through the touch and the taste, and also with respect to the desires and aversions pertaining to these, about which intemperance and temperance have been before defined, it is possible, indeed, that a man may be so disposed as to be vanquished by those pleasures and pains to which the multitude are superior, and it is also possible that he may vanquish those by which the multitude are vanquished. But of these characters, he who is vanquished by pleasures is incontinent, and he who vanquishes them is continent. He also who is vanquished by pains is effeminate, but he who vanquishes them is a man of endurance. The habits, however, of most men are between these, though they rather verge to the worse habits. Since, however, of pleasures, some are necessary, but others are not, and those that are necessary are so to a certain extent. But the excesses and defects are not necessary, and the like also takes place in desires and pains. This being the case, he who pursues the excesses of pleasures, or who pursues pleasures excessively, or from deliberate choice, and on their own account, and not from anything else which may happen, is an intemperate man. For this man will necessarily not repent of his conduct, so that he is incurable. But he who is deficient in the pursuit of pleasures is opposed to this character, and he who subsists in a medium between both is the temperate man. In a similar manner, also, he is intemperate, who avoids corporeal pains, not because he is vanquished by them, but from deliberate choice. But of those who pursue pleasures, yet not from deliberate choice, one, indeed, is led to the pursuit through pleasure, but another through an avoidance of pain, so that they differ from each other. It will, however, be obvious to everyone that he is a worse character, who, not desiring, or desiring but slightly, does anything which is base, than him who desires vehemently, and also that he who not being angry strikes a man is a worse character than the man who strikes another through the impulse of anger. For what would such a one do, 
if he were influenced by passion. Hence the intemperate is worse than the incontinent man. Of the characters, therefore, that we have mentioned, the one has more the form of effeminacy, but the other is incontinent. But the continent is opposed to the incontinent, and the man of endurance to the effeminate man. For endurance, indeed, consists in resisting, but continence in subduing. It is one thing, however, to resist, and another to subdue, just as it is one thing not to be vanquished, and another to vanquish. Hence, continence is more eligible than endurance. But he who fails in those things in which the multitude resist, and are able to resist, is effeminate, and luxuriously delicate. For luxurious delicacy is a certain effeminacy, as when a man draws his garments on the ground, lest he should be pained by the labor of holding it up, and by his manner of living imitates one who is ill, yet does not think he is miserable, though he resembles one who is miserable. The like also takes place with respect to continence and incontinence, for it is not wonderful if a man is vanquished by strong and transcendent pleasures, or pains, but he deserves to be pardoned, if, though vanquished, he makes a resistance, like the Philoctetes of Theoctetes, when bit by a viper, or the Circean of Carcinus in his Alope, or like those who, endeavouring to restrain their laughter, burst forth into a profuse laugh, as it happened to Xenophantus. But he is very blamable, who is vanquished by those pleasures which the multitude are able to resist, and is unable to oppose them, and this not through the nature of his race, or from disease, as is the case with the Persian kings, with whom effeminacy is hereditary, and who on this account are as females when compared to males. The jocose man also appears to be intemperate, but he is effeminate, for jesting is a relaxation, since it is a repose from serious and laborious pursuits. But the jocose man ranks among the number of those who exceed in this relaxation. With respect to incontinence, however, one kind is precipitate, but another is from imbecility. For some indeed, having deliberated, do not persist in what they have deliberated, on account of passion, but others, in consequence of not having deliberated, are led captive by passion. For some persons, just as those who have previously tickled themselves are not tickled by others, so these, in consequence of previously perceiving and foreseeing the future perturbation, and having pre-excited themselves, and their reasoning power, are not vanquished by passion, whether it be delectable or painful. But persons of acute feelings, and those who are melancholy, are especially incontinent, according to precipitate incontinence. For the former, indeed, through celerity, and the latter through vehemence, do not wait for the decision of reason, because they are disposed to follow the imagination. Chapter 8. The intemperate man, however, as we have before observed, is not inclined to repentance, for he persists in his deliberate choice. But every incontinent man is inclined to repent. Hence, the thing is not as we doubted it might be. But the intemperate man, indeed, is incurable, and the incontinent man is curable. 
for depravity appears to resemble the diseases of the dropsy and consumption but incontinence seems to resemble the epilepsy since the former indeed is continued without interruption but the latter is not a continued improbity and in short the genus of incontinence is different from that of vice for vice indeed is latent but incontinence is not latent but of these characters the precipitately incontinent are better than those who possess reason indeed but do not abide in its decisions for the latter are vanquished by a less passion and not without previous deliberation like the former for the man who is incontinent from imbecility resembles those who become rapidly intoxicated and from a little wine and from less than that through which most men become intoxicated that incontinence therefore is not a vice is evident but perhaps it is partially so for incontinence is contrary but vice is conformable to deliberate choice the intemperate and the incontinent man however are similar in their actions just as demodocus said of the milesians viz quote, the milesians are not indeed foolish yet they act as if they were so Close quote. thus also incontinent men are not indeed unjust yet they act unjustly since therefore the incontinent man is one who does not pursue corporeal pleasures in excess and contrary to right reason from persuasion but the intemperate man because he is intemperate is persuaded to pursue such pleasures this being the case the former is easily induced to change his opinion but the latter is not for virtue preserves the principle of right conduct but depravity corrupts it and in actions that for the sake of which or the end is the principle in the same manner as hypotheses are principles in the mathematics hence neither in the mathematics nor here are principles to be taught but virtue either physical or ethical is the cause of right opinion concerning the principle of conduct a man of this description therefore is temperate but the contrary character is an intemperate man there is also a certain person who through passion departs from right reason whom passion indeed so subdues that he does not act conformably to right reason but yet passion does not so far subdue him as to cause him to be persuaded that pleasures of this description ought to be largely pursued this person is the incontinent man who is better than the intemperate and is not absolutely a bad man for in him that which is best the principle of right conduct is saved but there is another person contrary to this viz the continent man who persists in the decision of reason and is not diverted from it through passion from these things therefore it is evident that one of these habits is worthy but the other bad chapter nine whether therefore is he the continent man who persists in any kind of reason and in any kind of deliberate choice or he who persists in right reason and whether is he the incontinent man who does not persist in any kind of deliberate choice nor in any kind of reason or he who persists in a false reason and in an erroneous deliberate choice as it was doubted by us before or shall we say that the continent man 
is one who persists from accident in any kind of reason and deliberate choice, but essentially in true reason, and right deliberate choice, but that the incontinent man does not thus persist? For if any one chooses, or pursues, that thing on account of this, he pursues indeed, and chooses this thing per se, but the former thing from accident. We speak, however, of that which is per se simply. Hence, it is possible that the one may persist in any kind of opinion, but that the other may abandon any kind of opinion. But the one simply persists in true opinion, and the other does not. There are, however, some persons who are disposed to persist in an opinion, and these are those who are called pertinacious, such as the obstinate, and those who are not easily persuaded to relinquish their opinions, who have indeed something similar to the continent man, in the same manner as the prodigal has to the liberal, and the audacious to the confident man. But in many things they are different. For the confident man, indeed, is not changed through passion and desire, since, when it so happens, he is easily persuaded. But the pertinacious man is not persuaded by reason, since most of this description admits desire, and are led by pleasures. Those persons, however, are pertinacious, who have certain opinions of their own, and also unlearned and rustic men. And those, indeed, who have certain opinions of their own, are pertinacious through pleasure and pain, for they rejoice when they are victorious, if they are not induced to change their opinion, and they are grieved when their opinions, as if they were decrees, are without efficacy. Hence they resemble the incontinent more than the continent man. But there are certain persons who do not persist in their opinions, yet not through incontinence, such as Neoptolemus in the Philoctetes of Sophocles. Since he did not persist in his opinion, yet not on account of pleasure, but on account of the beautiful in conduct. For to him it was beautiful to speak the truth, though he was persuaded by Ulysses to lie. For not everyone who does anything on account of pleasure is intemperate, or a bad, or an incontinent man. But he is intemperate who does it on account of base pleasure. Since, however, there is a character of such a kind as to be delighted less than is proper with corporeal pleasures, and not to abide in the decisions of reason, the continent man is a medium between this character and the incontinent man. For the incontinent man, indeed, does not abide in the decisions of reason, because he is delighted with corporeal pleasures more than is proper. But this man, because he is delighted with them less than is proper, the continent man, however, abides in the decision of reason, and is not changed through anything else. It is also necessary, if continence is a good thing, that both the contrary habits should be bad, as it appears that they are. Because, however, one of these characters, viz., the man who is delighted less than is proper with corporeal pleasures, exists but among a few men, and is rarely seen. Hence, as temperance appears to be contrary to intemperance alone, thus also continence to incontinence. But, since many things are denominated from similitude, the continence also of the temperate man follows according to similitude. For, both the continent and the temperate man do nothing contrary to reason, through the influence of corporeal pleasures. 
but the one indeed viz the continent man possesses but the other does not possess depraved desires and the one indeed is a man of such a description as not to be delighted contrary to reason but the other is delighted indeed it is not led by this delight the incontinent and the intemperate man also resemble each other though indeed they are different characters both however pursue corporeal delights but the latter indeed thinking that it is proper and the other not thinking that it is proper to pursue them chapter ten nor is it possible that the same person can at one and the same time be prudent and incontinent for it has been shown by us that a prudent man is at the same time a man of worthy manners again a man is not only prudent from knowing what ought to be done but also from acting properly but the incontinent man does not act properly nothing however prevents the incontinent man from being skilful hence also sometimes certain persons appear to be prudent but incontinent because skilfulness differs from prudence in the way we have before explained and these so far as pertains to reason indeed are near to each other but they differ according to deliberate choice neither therefore does the incontinent man possess reason as one who knows and contemplates but as one who is asleep or intoxicated and he acts indeed voluntarily for after a certain manner he acts knowing both what he does and for the sake of what he acts as he does but he is not depraved for his deliberate choice is good so that he is half depraved and not unjust because he is not insidious for one incontinent man indeed i e the man who is incontinent from debility does not persist in what he has deliberated and he who is of a melancholy temperament i e the man who is precipitately incontinent is not in short disposed to deliberate the incontinent man therefore resembles a city which decrees indeed everything that is proper and has good laws but uses none of them as anaxandrides revilingly said quote, the state consults but its own laws neglects Close quote. but the bad man resembles a city which uses indeed laws but uses bad laws incontinence however and continence are conversant with that which exceeds the habit of the multitude for the continent man persists more but the incontinent man less than the multitude are able to do in the decisions of reason the incontinence however of the melancholy is more easily cured than the incontinence of those who deliberate indeed but do not persist in doing what they have deliberated to do those also who are incontinent from custom may be more easily cured than those who are naturally so for it is more easy to change custom than nature for on this very account it is difficult to change custom viz because it resembles nature as evanus also says quote, by long attention custom is produced and is at length as nature to mankind Close quote. we have shown therefore what continence and incontinence and also what endurance and effeminacy are and how these habits subsist with reference to each other chapter eleven the discussion however 
of pleasure and pain pertains to him who philosophizes about the political science for he is the architect as it were of the end looking to which we say that one thing is evil but another is simply good again it is likewise necessary that we should make these the objects of consideration for we admit that ethical virtue and vice are conversant with pleasures and pains and most men assert that felicity is accompanied with pleasure hence also they denominate the blessed man from especially rejoicing to some therefore no pleasure appears to be good neither essentially nor from accident for good and pleasure are not the same thing but to others some pleasures appear to be good but many of them to be bad others again in the third place assert that though all pleasures were good yet at the same time that which is most excellent cannot be pleasure in short therefore they say pleasure is not good because all pleasure is a generation tending to a sensible nature as to its end but no generation is allied to ends as no act of building a house i e the energy of building is allied to the house again the temperate man avoids pleasures farther still the prudent man pursues a freedom from pain and not the delectable to which may be added that pleasures are an impediment to the energy of prudence and this in proportion to the delight which they afford as is the case with venereal pleasures for no one when engaged in this pleasure can intellectually perceive anything again pleasure is not the offspring of art though everything which is good is the work of art farther still children and brutes pursue pleasures but that all pleasures are not worthy is indicated by this that some are base and disgraceful and pernicious for some pleasures produce disease it is also evident that pleasure is not the best of things because it is not an end but generation such therefore nearly are the assertions respecting pleasure chapter twelve that it does not happen however from these arguments that pleasure is neither good nor the best of things is evident from the following considerations in the first place indeed because good is predicated in a twofold respect for one kind of good is simply and absolutely good but another is good to a certain person and natures and habits receive the same division so that this will also be the case with motions and generations with respect to these pleasures likewise which appear to be bad some indeed are simply bad but are not bad to a certain person but to him are eligible and some are not pleasures to this person except once and for a short time but they are not eligible to him and some are not pleasures but only appear to be so viz those which are attended with pain and are for the sake of a remedy such as those of the sick again since of good one kind is energy but another is habit those pleasures which restore their possessor to his natural habit are delectable in desires however there is the energy of an indigent and imperfect habit and nature there are also pleasures which are unaccompanied with pain and desire such as the energies of contemplation nature in these not being indigent but that some pleasures are delectable of themselves and others only on account of the indigence which they remove 
is indicated by this that men are not pleased with the same delectable thing when the indigence of nature is removed and when it is not for in the former case they are delighted with things simply and absolutely pleasant but in the latter with their contraries for they are then delighted with things sharp and bitter none of which are either naturally or absolutely delectable so that neither are they pleasures for as things delectable are to each other so likewise are the pleasures produced by these farther still it is not necessary that something else should be better than pleasure as some say the end of generation is better than generation for pleasures are not generations nor are all of them accompanied with generation but they are energies and an end nor do pleasures happen when things are passing into existence but from the use of things nor is the end of all pleasures something different from them but of those only which lead to the perfection of nature hence it is not well said that pleasure is a sensible generation but it must rather be said that it is the energy of habit according to nature and instead of saying that it is a sensible it must be said that it is an unimpeded generation it appears however to be a certain generation because it is properly good for they fancied that energy is generation but it is different from it to say also that pleasures are bad because some delectable things produce diseases is what may likewise be said of things salubrious for some of these are bad as to pecuniary affairs in this respect therefore both will be bad and yet they are not on this account bad for contemplation is likewise sometimes injurious to health yet the pleasure proceeding from each habit is neither an impediment to prudence nor to any habit but the pleasures which are an impediment to these are such as are foreign since the pleasures arising from contemplation and discipline produce in a greater degree contemplation and learning but it reasonably happens that no pleasure is the work of art since neither is there an art of any other energy but of power though the arts pertaining to unguents and cooking appear to be the arts of pleasure with respect to the assertions also that the temperate man avoids pleasures and that the prudent man pursues a life unattended with pain and that children and brutes pursue pleasure all these are solved after the same manner for since we have shown how all pleasures are in a certain respect simply good and how they are not good hence children and brutes pursue such pleasures as are accompanied with desire and pain and are corporeal and the prudent man pursues a freedom of pain from these for of such a kind are these pleasures viz they are accompanied with pain children and brutes also pursue the excesses of these according to which the intemperate man becomes intemperate hence the temperate man avoids these since there are also pleasures which belong to the temperate man chapter thirteen it is also admitted that pain is an evil and is to be avoided for one kind of pain indeed is simply evil but another in a certain respect because it is an impediment that however which is contrary to what is to be avoided so far as it is something to be avoided and is evil is good pleasure therefore is necessarily something good for the solution of spusippus is not appropriate viz that pleasure is contrary to pain 
just as the greater is contrary to the less, and the equal, since no one will say that pleasure is a certain evil. But nothing prevents a certain pleasure from being the best of things, if certain pleasures are bad, just as a certain science, viz. wisdom, is the best of sciences, though some sciences are bad. Perhaps, too, it must necessarily be the case that if of every habit there are unimpeded energies, whether felicity is the energy of all habits, or of some one of them, this energy, if it is unimpeded, is most eligible. But this is pleasure, so that a certain pleasure will be the best of things, many pleasures, if it should so happen, being simply bad. And on this account all men are of opinion that a happy is a delectable life, and they reasonably connect pleasure with felicity. For no energy is perfect when it is impeded, but felicity is among the number of perfect energies. Hence, the happy man requires the goods pertaining to the body, and external possessions, and also good fortune, lest the want of these should be an impediment to his felicity. Those, however, who say that a man, if he is a good man, may be happy, though he should be tormented in a wheel, and fall into the greatest calamities, say nothing to the purpose, whether they assert this willingly or unwillingly, because, however, the happy man requires good fortune. Prosperity appears to some persons to be the same with felicity, though it is not the same, since prosperity, when it is excessive, is an impediment to felicity. Perhaps, likewise, it is no longer just to call prosperity, when it is excessive, good fortune. For the definition of prosperity has a reference to felicity. That all brutes too, and all men, pursue pleasure, is an indication that pleasure is in a certain respect the best of things. Quote, that fame which crowds of humankind extol will ne'er completely perish. Close quote. Because, however, neither the same nature nor the same habit either is or appears to be the best, neither do all men pursue the same pleasure, though pleasure is pursued by all men. Perhaps also they pursue not the pleasure which they fancy, nor that which they say they pursue, but the same pleasure, for all things naturally possess something divine. Corporeal pleasures, however, obtain the inheritance of the name, because men are for the most part occupied in them, and all animals partake of them. Because, therefore, these pleasures alone are generally known, these are the only pleasures which are fancied to have an existence. It is, however, evident that unless pleasure is good, and also energy, it will not be possible for the happy man to live delectably. For on what account would delight be requisite to a happy life, if it is not good? But it would also be possible for life to be happy, though attended with pain, for pain will neither be evil nor good, if pleasure is not good. Why, therefore, is pain to be avoided? Neither, therefore, will the life of the worthy man be more delectable unless his energies are more delectable. Chapter 14 With respect, however, to corporeal pleasures, we must direct our attention to the assertions of those who say that some pleasures are very eligible, viz. such as are worthy, but not corporeal pleasures, with which the intemperate man is conversant. Why, therefore, are the pains contrary to these pleasures depraved? For good is contrary to evil, or, shall we say, 
that necessary pleasures are so far good because that which is not evil is good or that they are good to a certain extent for in those habits and motions in which there is no excess of that which is better there is no excess of pleasure but in those in which there is an excess of what is better there is also an excess of pleasure but of corporeal goods there is an excess and the bad man becomes bad by pursuing the excess of pleasure and not necessary pleasures for all depraved men are delighted with meats and wine and venery but not in such a manner as is proper and they are affected in a contrary way with respect to pain for they do not avoid the excess of pain but pain altogether for pain is not contrary to excess but to him who pursues excess since however it is not only necessary to speak the truth but also to assign the cause of a false assertion for this contributes to credibility since when the cause why a thing seems to be true though it is not appears to be reasonable it then gives greater credibility to the truth this being the case it must be shown why corporeal pleasures appear to be more eligible in the first place therefore they appear to be so because they expel pain and because excessive and in short corporeal pleasure is pursued on account of the excesses of pain as a remedy but the remedies are vehement and on this account corporeal pleasures are pursued because they become more apparent when placed by that which is contrary to them pleasure therefore does not appear to be good for these two reasons as we have before observed because some pleasures indeed are the actions of a depraved nature either from the birth of the animal as those of a brute or they originate from custom such as those of bad men but other pleasures are remedies because they are the pleasures of that which is in want and it is better to have them than for them to be passing into existence and others happen to be pleasures of that which is in a perfect condition from accident therefore they are worthy pleasures again pleasures that are vehement are pursued by those who are incapable of being delighted with other pleasures these therefore procure for themselves certain thirsts hence when pleasures are innoxious they are not to be reprehended but when they are noxious they are bad for those that pursue these pleasures have no other with which they are delighted and if neither these nor any others are present the vulgar are in pain through the indigence of nature for the animal always labours as physical arguments testify since as physiologists say to see and to hear are painful but we are now accustomed to these energies and therefore do not perceive the pain in a similar manner in youth in consequence of the augmentation which then takes place we are affected like those who are intoxicated and youth is a delectable period of human life but the melancholic naturally always require a remedy for their body experiences a continual molestation from its temperament through the acrimony of the bile and they are always agitated with vehement appetite pleasure however always excels pain as well the pain which is contrary to pleasure as that which is casual if the pleasure is strong and on this account the melancholic becomes intemperate and depraved but the pleasures which are without pain have no excess and these are such as are derived from things naturally delectable and which are not accidentally so 
I mean, however, by things delectable from accident, remedies, for because it happens that we are cured of a malady, the part which is sane performing something, on this account, the remedies appear to be delectable. But by things naturally delectable, I mean those which produce the action of such a nature, i.e., which produce an energy essentially adapted to such a nature. Nothing, however, which remains the same is always delectable, because our nature is not simple. But there is also something in it different, according to which it is corruptible. Hence, if the one part does anything, this to the other nature is preternatural. But when both the parts are equalized, that which is performed neither appears to be painful nor pleasing. For if there is any being, the nature of which is simple, to this being the same action will always be most delectable. Hence, God always rejoices according to one simple pleasure, for there is not only an energy of corporeal motion, but also of immobility, and pleasure exists more abundantly in rest than in motion. But mutation is the sweetest of all things, according to the poet, through a certain depravity. For, as a depraved man is mutable, so likewise is the nature which requires mutation, for it is neither simple nor good. And thus we have spoken concerning continence and incontinence, pleasure and pain, and have shown what each of them is, and how some of them are good, but others bad. It now remains that we speak concerning friendship. End of Book 7 Book 8 Chapter 1 after these things, it follows that we should discuss friendship, for it is a certain virtue, or subsists in conjunction with virtue. And, besides this, it is most necessary to life, for no one would choose to live without friends, though he possessed every other good. For the rich, princes, and magistrates appear to be especially in want of friends, for what advantage is there in a prosperity of this kind, if beneficence is taken away, which is especially exerted towards friends, and is most praised when thus exerted? Or how can prosperity be preserved and saved without friends? For by how much the greater, by so much the more insecure it is. But in poverty and other misfortunes, friends are considered to be the only refuge. Friendship also is useful to youth, in preventing them from error, and to elderly men, by the attention which it pays to their wants, and the assistance it affords to their deficiency in action, arising from the imbecility of age. To those likewise, in the acme of life, it is useful, because it aids them in the performance of beautiful actions. Quote, when two in concord meet, close quote, for they are more able through it both to conceive and act. Friendship also appears to be naturally inherent in that which begets towards that which is begotten, and this not only in the human race, but likewise in birds, in most animals, in those of the same nation towards each other, and especially among men, and hence we praise those that are philanthropic. It may also be seen, in travelling, how accommodating and friendly every man is to man. It seems, too, that friendship connects cities together, and legislators pay more attention to it than to justice. For concord appears to be something similar to friendship, 
but this legislators are especially desirous of effecting and they principally expel sedition which is hostile to concord and when the citizens indeed are friends there is no need of justice but though they are just they require friendship among just things also that which is especially just appears to be of a friendly nature nor is friendship alone necessary but it is also a beautiful thing for we praise those who are lovers of friends and an abundance of friends appears to be one among the number of beautiful things again some are of opinion that the same persons are good men and friends there is however no small controversy concerning friendship for some consider it to be a certain similitude and that similar persons are friends whence also it is said quote, like tends to like a jackdaw to a jackdaw etc others on the contrary say that all such persons are potters to each other and they investigate concerning these things from a higher and more physical origin euripides indeed saying quote, earth when she's dry rejoices in the rain and venerable heaven with rain when filled on earth delights to fall and heraclitus asserting quote, that what is adverse is advantageous that the most beautiful harmony results from things of a different nature and that all things originate from strife others however are of a contrary opinion respecting friendship and among these is empedocles for he says quote, that the similar aspires after the similar such of these doubts therefore as are of a physical nature we shall omit for they are not adapted to the present speculation but we shall direct our attention to such of them as pertain to human affairs and to the manners and passions of men such as whether there is friendship among all men or it is not possible that depraved men can be friends and whether there is one or many species of friendship for those who are of opinion that there is but one species of it because it receives the more and the less do not found their opinion on a sufficient argument for things specifically different receive the more and the less but of these we have spoken before chapter two these things however will perhaps become evident when that which is the object of friendly love is known for it seems that not everything is beloved but that only which is the object of love but this is either what is good or what is delectable or what is useful that however may appear to be useful through which some good or pleasure is procured hence the good and the delectable will be objects of love as ends whether therefore do men love that which is simply good or that which is good to them for these sometimes are discordant a similar inquiry also may be made concerning the delectable it appears however that every one loves that which is good to himself and that good is that which is simply the object of love but that what is good to each person is the object of love to each 
Each person, however, loves not that which is really good to him, but that which appears to be so. But this makes no difference, for that which appears to be good will be the object of love. Since, however, there are three things through which love is produced, viz. the good, the delectable, and the useful, in the love of things inanimate there is not said to be friendship, for there is no reciprocal love, nor a wish that any good may befall them. For it would be perhaps ridiculous to wish that some good might befall wine. But if a man does, he wishes that it may be preserved, in order that he may have it. But it is said to be requisite to wish well to a friend for his own sake. And those who entertain this wish for their friends are said to be benevolent, though the same wish should not be made by them. For it is said that benevolence, in reciprocal regard, is friendship, to which perhaps it should be added, if the benevolence is not latent. For many persons are benevolent to those whom they never saw, in consequence of believing them to be worthy or useful men. And those whom they never saw may also be benevolent to them. They appear, therefore, indeed, to be benevolent to each other. But how can it be said that they are friends, when they are ignorant of the manner in which they are mutually affected? Hence it is necessary, in order to their being friends, that they should be benevolent to, and wish well to each other, on account of one of the things we have mentioned, viz. on account of the good, the delectable, or the useful. Chapter 3 These, however, are specifically different from each other, and, therefore, the loves also, and the friendships differ. For there are three species of friendship, equal in number to the objects of friendly love, since in each there is a reciprocal love which is not latent. But those who love each other wish well to each other, so far as they love. Those, therefore, who love each other on account of utility do not mutually love for their own sake, but so far as they obtain some good from each other. This is also the case with those who love on account of pleasure, for they do not love those who are versatile, because they possess certain qualities, but because they afford them pleasure. And those who love on account of utility possess this friendly love on account of the good which they derive from it. Those, likewise, who love on account of pleasure, love on account of that which is delectable to them. And the attachment of these is not personal, but is produced so far as the object of their attachment is useful or delectable. These friendships, therefore, are accidental, for the object of their attachment is not beloved, so far as he is such a person as he is but so far as he administers to them some good or some pleasure. Such friendships, therefore, are easily dissolved, the objects of them not remaining in a similar condition, for if they are no longer delectable or useful, they cease to be beloved. And the useful is not permanent, but at a different time becomes different. Hence, that through which they were friends being dissolved, their friendship also is dissolved, in consequence of existing for the sake of it. A friendship, however, of this kind appears especially to subsist among elderly men, for 
those who have arrived at this period of life do not pursue the delectable but the useful nor is the delectable pursued by such young men in the acme of life as make utility the object of their pursuit but such persons do not very much live together for sometimes they are not pleasing to each other they do not therefore require an association of this kind unless they are useful for they are delectable to each other so far as they hope for some good among these friendships also viz those of utility hospitable friendship is ranked but the friendship of young men appears to subsist on account of pleasure for they live according to passion and especially pursue that which is delectable to them and that which is present in consequence of the mutation of age however other things become delectable on which account they rapidly become and cease to be friends for their friendship is changed together with that which is delectable but the mutation of such a pleasure is rapid young men also are amorous for much of the amatory propensity subsists according to passion and on account of pleasure hence they love and rapidly cease to love frequently changing in the same day they wish however to spend the day with each other and to live together for thus they obtain what friendship requires the friendship however of good men and of those who are similar in virtue is perfect for they similarly wish well to each other so far as they are good but they are good of themselves but those who wish well to their friends for their sake are especially friends for they are thus affected towards them on their own account i e personally and not from accident the friendship therefore of these remains as long as they are good men but virtue is stable and each of these is simply good and good to his friend for good men are simply good and are useful to each other in a similar manner also they are delectable to each other for good men are simply and mutually delectable for to each their proper actions and such like actions viz such as are similarly virtuous are attended with pleasure but the actions of good men are such as these or resemble them it reasonably follows also that such a friendship is stable for all such things subsist in it connectedly as ought to be present with friends for all friendship is on account of good or on account of pleasure either simply or to him who loves and this according to a certain similitude but in this friendship i e in the friendship founded on virtue all the above-mentioned particulars are essentially inherent since in this all the rest are similar and that which is simply good is also simply delectable these things however are especially lovely and in these the most excellent love and friendship principally subsist but it is likely that such friendships are rare for persons of this description are few farther still virtuous friendship requires time and custom for according to the proverb it is not possible for men to know each other until they have eaten a peck of salt together nor is it proper for one person to become intimate with or a friend to another till he appears to be amiable to him and worthy of belief but those who rapidly perform towards each other the offices of friendship wish indeed to be friends but are not unless they are amiable and know that they are so
they rapidly therefore contract the wish to be friends but they do not contract friendship hence virtuous friendship is perfect according to time as being lasting and according to other things and consists from all these each friend likewise is in this friendship similar to each which is a thing necessary to friends chapter four the friendship however which subsists on account of the delectable has a similitude to virtuous friendship for good men also are delectable to each other this is likewise the case with the friendship which subsists on account of utility for good men are also such i e useful to each other but among these viz those who are friends through the delectable friendships are especially permanent when an equality as for instance of pleasure subsists between them and not only so but likewise from the same thing as is the case with men of versatile manners and not as between the lover and the beloved person for these are not delighted with the same thing but the lover is delighted with the sight of the beloved person and he who is beloved is delighted with the attention which is paid him by the lover when the flower of age however is no more sometimes the friendship also ends for to the one the sight of his friend is no longer pleasing and to the other bland attention is no longer paid many of these however continue permanent in their friendship if each loves the manners of each from custom in consequence of possessing similar manners those however who do not reciprocally exchange delight in amatory affairs but utility are friends in a less degree and their friendship is less permanent but the friendship of those who are friends on account of utility is dissolved together with advantage for they were not friends of each other but of the profitable on account of pleasure therefore and on account of utility it is possible for bad men to be friends to each other and also for worthy with bad men and for those who are neither good nor bad with each other and with the good or the bad but it is evident that the good alone can be friends through or on account of themselves for bad men are not delighted with each other unless each derives some advantage from the other and the friendship of good men alone is unattended with calumny for it is not easy to believe anything bad of him who has been tried by us for a long time among these also there is mutual credibility and a confidence that the one will not injure the other and such other particulars as are thought worthy to be ranked in true friendship in other friendships however there is nothing to prevent things of this kind from taking place for since men denominate friends those who are connected together on account of utility in the same manner as cities bracket, for to cities warlike confederacies appear to take place for the sake of advantage close bracket, and since those likewise are called friends who like boys love each other on account of pleasure perhaps indeed it is necessary that we also should call such persons friends and should admit that there are many species of friendship and we must denominate indeed the friendship of good men so far as they are good that which is primarily and properly so called but we must admit that the rest are called friendships from similitude 
for they are friends so far as there is something good and similar among them since the delectable is something good to the lovers of pleasure these friendships however are not very much conjoined nor do the same persons become friends on account of the useful and the delectable for things which are from accident are not very much united but friendship being distributed into these species bad men indeed will be friends on account of pleasure or advantage through which they are similar but good men will be friends on their own account for they are friends so far as they are good these therefore are simply friends but those from accident and from being assimilated to these chapter five as however in the virtues some men are said to be good according to habit but others according to energy thus also it is in friendship for those friends who live together are delighted with and impart good to each other but those who are asleep or are separated by places do not indeed energize and yet they are so disposed as to be able to energize in such a way as friendship requires for places do not dissolve friendship simply but only the energy of it if however the absence is long it seems to produce an oblivion of friendship whence it is said that taciturnity dissolves many friendships but neither elderly nor austere men appear to be adapted to friendship for in them there is but little of pleasure no one however can constantly associate with one who is sorrowful or with one who is not pleasant for nature appears especially to avoid the painful and to aspire after the pleasing but those who admit the company of each other and yet do not live together rather resemble benevolent persons than friends since nothing is so much the province of friends as living together for those who are in want aspire after advantage those also who are blessed constantly associate with each other for it is not in the smallest degree fit that these should lead a solitary life but it is not possible for men to live together whose company is not delightful and who are not pleased with the same things which fellowship appears to possess the friendship therefore of good men is eminently friendship as we have frequently observed for that which is simply good or delectable appears to be lovely and eligible but to every one that is lovely and eligible which is to him a thing of this kind a good man however is lovely and eligible to a good man through both these dilection however is similar to passion but friendship to habit for dilection is no less exerted towards inanimate things but reciprocal love exists in conjunction with deliberate choice and deliberate choice is from habit we likewise wish well to those whom we love for their own sake not according to passion but according to habit and those who love a friend love that which is good to themselves for a good man becoming a friend becomes a good to him to whom he is a friend each therefore loves that which is good to himself and they mutually impart to each other that which is equal both in wishing well and affording delight for equality is said to be friendship but these things are especially present with the friendship of good men chapter six friendship however subsists in a less degree among austere and elderly men 
in proportion as they are more morose and less delighted with associations for these appear to be especially friendly and effective of friendship hence young men rapidly become friends but not elderly men for they do not become friends to those with whom they are not delighted in a similar manner neither do the austere become rapidly friends but men of this description are indeed benevolent to each other for they wish well and afford assistance to the wants of each other they are not however very much friends because they do not constantly associate nor are delighted with each other which things appear to be especially of a friendly nature but it is not possible to be a friend to many according to perfect friendship as neither is it possible to love many at one and the same time for this resembles excess and a thing of this kind is naturally adapted to take place towards one person moreover it is not easy for many persons to please the same person very much at one and the same time nor perhaps would it be a good thing if it were easy experience and custom likewise are necessary to a perfect friendship which are very difficult things but it is possible to please many persons on account of utility and delight for there are many of this description viz who are thus to be pleased and a little experience is sufficient for this purpose of these two however the friendship which subsists through the delectable is more similar to true friendship when the same things are affected by both persons and they are delighted with each other or with the same things as is the case in the friendship of young men for there is more of the liberal in these friendships but the friendship which subsists on account of utility is the friendship of merchants and of those who are occupied in sordid and illiberal pursuits and those who are blessed indeed viz who are as happy as the condition of human nature will permit are not in want of anything useful or delectable because they already possess everything of this kind for they wish to live with certain persons and they endure what is painful but for a short time since no one could endure it continually not even good itself if it were attended with molestation hence they search for friends who can procure them delight it is however perhaps necessary to search for good men who are such i e who are delectable and who are also such to their friends for thus those things will be present with them which ought to be present with friends but men in authority and power appear to use their friends by making a distinction between them for some are useful and others delectable to them the same things however are not very much affected by both these for neither do they search for those who are delectable in conjunction with virtue nor for those who are useful for worthy purposes but aspiring after pleasure they search for men of versatile manners and for those who are skilful in accomplishing what they are ordered to do but these qualifications are not very much found in the same person we have however already observed that the worthy man is at the same time pleasing and useful but such a one will not be the friend of the man who surpasses others in power and authority unless he also surpasses others in virtue but if he does not he who surpasses will not equalize according to the analogous men of this description however are rare the above-mentioned friendships therefore are inequality 
for either the same things are affected by both and they mutually wish the same things or they exchange one thing for another as for instance pleasure for utility but that these are friendships in a less degree and that they are less permanent has been already observed by us they appear however through a similitude and dissimilitude of the same thing to be and not to be friendships for from their similitude to the friendship which is according to virtue they appear to be friendships since the one of these has the delectable but the other the useful but both these are inherent in virtuous friendship they differ however in this that virtuous friendship is free from calumny and is stable but these are rapidly changed and they also differ in many other things and from this dissimilitude to the friendship which is according to virtue they do not appear to be friendships chapter seven there is however another species of friendship which subsists according to transcendency such as that between a father and his son and in short between a more elderly and a younger man between a husband and his wife and between every governor and him who is governed but these friendships also differ from each other for there is not the same friendship between parents and children as there is between governors and the governed nor between a father and a son as between a son and his father nor between a husband and wife as between a wife and husband for the virtue and also the work of each of these are different and the things are different on account of which they love their loves therefore and their friendships are different hence neither are the same things affected by each towards each nor is it fit they should be required but when children indeed bestow on their parents those things which offspring ought to bestow on those by whom they were begotten and parents bestow on their children those things which it is proper to bestow on their offspring then the friendship between such as these will be stable and worthy it is however necessary in all the friendships which subsist according to transcendency that the love should be analogous as for instance that the better character should be beloved in a greater degree than he loves and that this should also be the case with the more useful character and in a similar manner with each of the rest for when love exists according to desert then in a certain respect equality is produced which appears to be the peculiarity of friendship the equal however does not appear to subsist similarly in just things and in friendship for in just things indeed the equality which is according to desert ranks in the first place but that which is according to quantity in the second place but in friendship the equality which is according to quantity ranks in the first place and that which is according to desert in the second place this however becomes evident if there is a great interval of virtue or vice or affluence or of some other things for then they are no longer friends nor do they think themselves qualified to be so but this is most apparent in the gods for they most abundantly transcend in everything that is good it is also evident in kings for those who are much inferior to them do not think themselves worthy to be their friends 
nor do those who are of no worth aspire to be friends of the best or the wisest of men in such as these therefore there is no accurate definition as long as they are the friends of some one for many things being taken away the friendship may yet remain but if they are separated by a great interval from each other as is the case with man and divinity friendship no longer remains whence also it is doubted whether friends would wish for their friends the greatest of goods such for instance as for them to be gods for in this case they would no longer be friends to them neither therefore would they be a good to them for friends are a good to each other hence if it is well said that a friend wishes well to his friend for his sake it is requisite that he should remain such as he is but he wishes the greatest good may befall him still remaining a man and perhaps he does not wish that every good may befall him for every one especially wishes to obtain good himself chapter eight the multitude however appear from ambition to be more desirous of being beloved than of loving hence the multitude love flatterers for a flatterer is a friend who is surpassed by him whom he flatters or pretends to be so and also professes to love in a greater degree than he is beloved but to be beloved appears to be proximate to the being honoured after which the multitude aspire it seems however that they do not choose honour on its own account but from accident for the multitude are delighted when they are honoured by those in power through the hope of the benefits they may thence derive for they fancy they shall obtain from them that of which they are in want they are delighted therefore with honour as an indication that they shall be benefited but those who aspire after honour from worthy and intelligent men desire to confirm their own opinion of themselves they rejoice therefore that they are worthy persons believing in the judgment of those who say that they are worthy but they are delighted to be beloved per se hence it would seem that this is a better thing than to be honoured and that friendship is a thing eligible of itself friendship however seems to consist more in loving than in being beloved of which this is an indication that mothers rejoice in loving their children for some mothers give their children to be privately educated by others and love them knowing them to be their own offspring but are not anxious to be beloved in return if both cannot be affected but it appears to them to be sufficient if they see their children doing well and they love their offspring though the offspring are unable to pay that attention to their mother which is fit because they are ignorant of her since therefore friendship consists rather in loving than in being beloved and we praise those who are lovers of friends to love appears to be the virtue of friends hence those in whom this exists according to desert are stable friends and the friendship of such as these is stable but thus also those who are unequal may especially become friends for thus they will be equalized equality however and similitude are friendship and especially the similitude of those who resemble each other in virtue for being of themselves stable they are also stable towards each other and neither require anything depraved nor are subservient to anything of this kind but as i may say they prohibit what is base for it is the province of good men neither to err themselves 
nor permit their friends to be subservient to erroneous conduct but depraved men have no stability for they do not remain similar to themselves but are only friends for a short time being delighted with the depravity of each other useful however and pleasing men remain friends for a longer time for they continue friends as long as they impart to each other pleasure and advantage but the friendship which subsists on account of utility appears to be composed from contraries such as the friendship of the poor with the rich man and of the unlearned with the learned man for he who is in want of anything aspiring to the possession of it recompenses with something else him from whom he obtains what he wants hither also may be referred the lover and the beloved the beautiful and the deformed hence lovers sometimes appear to be ridiculous when they think they ought to be beloved as much as they love if therefore they are similarly amiable perhaps it is fit they should thus think but it is ridiculous if they possess nothing of this kind perhaps also neither does one contrary desire another essentially but only from accident but the appetite is directed to the medium for this is good thus for instance it is good to a dry thing not to become moist but to arrive at the medium between dryness and moisture and in a similar manner to a hot thing and to other substances these things however must be omitted for they are more foreign than is proper chapter nine it seems however as we said in the beginning that both friendship and justice are conversant with and exist in the same things for in all society there appears to be a certain justice and friendship men therefore call their fellow-sailors and fellow-soldiers friends and in a similar manner those who associate with them in other employments but such as is the extent of their associations such also is the extent of their friendship for such likewise is the extent of justice the proverb too rightly says that all things are common among friends for friendship consists in communion among brothers however and associates all things are common but among others they are limited to certain bounds and to some indeed more so but to others less for with respect to friendship also some are friendships in a greater and others in a less degree just things also differ for there is not the same justice between parents and children as between brothers towards each other nor as between associates and fellow-citizens and the like takes place in other friendships injuries therefore are different towards each of these and they receive an increase by how much the more the persons injured are friends thus for instance it is a more dire thing to defraud an associate of money than a fellow-citizen and not to assist a brother than to refuse assistance to a stranger and to strike a father than to strike any other person but the just is naturally adapted to be increased at one and the same time with friendship as subsisting in the same things and being equally extended all communions or societies however resemble the parts of the political or civil communion for men journey together with a view to a certain advantage 
and in order to procure something which pertains to human life political communion also appears to exist for the sake of advantage to have been established with a view to this from the beginning and to continue so for the attention of legislators is directed to this and they say that what is advantageous in common is just other communions therefore partially aspire after utility thus sailors aspire after the utility pertaining to navigation or to the acquisition of wealth or something of the like kind but soldiers aspire after the utility pertaining to war whether riches are the object of their desire or victory or the capture of cities the like also takes place among tribes and the populace some communions however appear to have been formed on account of pleasure such as the communion from the celebration of festivals or from societies instituted to promote good fellowship for these subsist for the sake of sacrificing and association but all these appear to be subject to political communion for political communion does not aspire after present advantage but to that which pertains to the whole of life performing sacrifices and for this purpose forming assemblies bestowing honours on the gods and affording a cessation from labour in conjunction with pleasure for ancient sacrifices and assemblies appear to have been instituted after collecting the fruits of the earth as first fruits all communions therefore appear to be parts of the political communion but such like friendships follow such like communions chapter ten there are however three species of a polity and as many deviations from them which are as it were the corruptions of these polities but the polities indeed are a kingdom an aristocracy and the third is derived from the distribution of honours through the medium of wealth which as it seems may be appropriately called a timocracy most men however are accustomed to call it simply a polity but of these a kingdom is the best and a timocracy is the worst the deviation also from a kingdom is indeed a tyranny for both are monarchies they differ however very much from each other for the tyrant indeed looks to his own advantage but the king to the advantage of those whom he governs for he is not a king who is not sufficient to himself and who does not surpass his subjects in every kind of good but a man of this description is in want of nothing hence his attention will not be directed to what is advantageous to himself but to the benefit of those whom he governs for he who is not a person of this description will be a certain elected king a tyrant however is the contrary to a king properly so called for he pursues his own good and from this it is more evident that he is the worst of rulers for that which is contrary to the best is the worst but the transition from a kingdom is into a tyranny for a tyranny is the depravity of a monarchy and a depraved king becomes a tyrant the transition from an aristocracy is into an oligarchy through the vice of the governors who distribute civil offices in a manner contrary to desert bestow upon themselves all or the greater part of everything that is good and always appoint the same persons magistrates paying more attention to wealth than to anything else those therefore that govern are few and are depraved 
instead of being the most worthy men but the transition from a timocracy is into a democracy since these polities border on each other for in a timocracy also the multitude have dominion and all those that are rich are equal a democracy however is in the smallest degree depraved for it deviates but little from the form of a polity i e from a timocracy after this manner therefore polities are especially changed for thus they are changed the least and the most easily the resemblances however and as it were paradigms of them may be derived from families for the communion or society between a father and his children has the form of a kingdom for a father pays attention to his children for their own sake hence also homer calls jupiter father for the intention of a kingdom is to be a paternal government but among the persians the government of a father is tyrannical for they use their children as slaves the government likewise of a master towards his servants is tyrannical for in this government that alone which is advantageous to the master is performed this therefore appears to be right but the persian government is erroneous for of things that are different the governments also are different but the government of man and wife appears to be aristocratic for the man governs according to desert and in those things in which it is proper for the man to govern but he permits his wife to rule over such things as are adapted to be governed by a woman if the man however has dominion in all things the government is changed into an oligarchy for he does this contrary to desert and not so far as he is the better character but it sometimes happens that women in consequence of being heiresses govern even in things pertaining to men the government therefore in this case is not according to virtue but is through wealth and power in the same manner as in oligarchies and the government of brothers resembles a timocracy for they are equal except so far as they differ in their ages hence if there is a great difference in their ages the friendship is no longer fraternal but a democratic government is especially to be seen in those families which are without a master for here all govern equally in those families also where he who governs is a man of a weak understanding every one has the power of acting as he pleases chapter eleven in each of the polities however friendship appears to have the same extent as justice and the friendship indeed between a king and his subjects consists in transcendency of beneficence for he benefits his subjects since being a good man he is attentive to their interest like a shepherd in order that they may do well whence also homer calls agamemnon the shepherd of the people such likewise is paternal friendship but it differs in the magnitude of the benefits which it confers for the father is the cause of the existence of his child which appears to be a thing of the greatest consequence and also procures him nutriment and education the same things likewise are attributed to progenitors for a father is naturally adapted to rule over his children and progenitors over the offspring of their children and kings over their subjects but these friendships consist in transcendency on which account also parents are honoured the just therefore in these is not the same 
but subsists according to desert. For thus also the friendship subsists. There is likewise the same friendship between a husband and a wife, as in an aristocracy, for it subsists according to virtue, and a more ample good is attributed to the better character, and that which is adapted and appropriate is attributed to each. For thus also justice is effected. But the friendship of brothers resembles that of associates, for they are equal, and of the same age, and persons of this description apply themselves for the most part to the same disciplines, and are similar in their manners. The friendship, therefore, which exists in a democracy, resembles this, for in this government it is requisite that the citizens should be equal and worthy persons. Hence they alternately and equally govern. Such, therefore, is the friendship of brothers. In corrupt polities, however, as the justice is but small, so likewise is the friendship, and it exists in the smallest degree in the worst polity. For in a tyranny there is either no friendship or very little, since among those with whom there is nothing common between the governor and the governed, there is not any friendship, for neither is there any justice. But the friendship between them resembles that which is between an artist and his instrument, between the soul and the body, and between a master and his servant. For these, indeed, are benefited by those that use them. There is not, however, any friendship with, nor justice towards things inanimate, as neither is there towards a horse or an ox, or towards a slave, so far as he is a slave, since there is nothing common between these. For a slave is an animated instrument, but an instrument is an inanimate slave. So far, therefore, as he is a slave, there is no friendship between him and his master, but there may be, so far as he is a man. For it appears that there is a certain justice due from every man towards every man who is able to partake of law and compact, and therefore there may also be a friendship between any one man and another, so far as each is a man. In tyrannical governments, however, there is but little friendship and justice, but there is very much of each in democracies, for among those that are equal, many things are common. Chapter 12 all friendship, therefore, as we have before observed, consists in communion, but it may be divided into that which subsists between kindred and that which subsists between associates. But political friendships, the friendships of those of the same tribe, of those who sail together, and such like, are more similar to the friendships of associates, for they appear to exist, as it were, from compact. Among these also, hospitable friendships may be ranked. The friendship, likewise, of kindred appears to be multiform, and the whole of it depends from paternal friendship. For parents love their children, as being something of themselves, but children love their parents, as being something proceeding from them. Parents, however, have a greater knowledge of their offspring, so as to know more accurately that they are their offspring, than the offspring know that they proceeded from their parents, and that from which a thing is generated has a greater familiarity and alliance with the thing produced, than the thing produced has with its maker. For that which originates from a thing is the property of that from which it originates, as a tooth, or a hair, or anything else, is the property of its possessor. But that from which a thing originates is not the property of any one of the things 
which originate from it, or is so in a less degree. The love also of parents to their children is superior to that of children to their parents, by length of time, for parents love their children as soon as they are born, but children their parents in process of time, when they begin to understand or perceive that they are their parents. From these things, likewise, it is evident on what account mothers love their children more than fathers love them. Parents, indeed, therefore, love their children as themselves, for those that proceed from them are, as it were, their other selves, by being separated from them. But children love their parents as proceeding from them. Brothers, however, love each other in consequence of being born from the same parents. For sameness with their parents causes them to be the same with each other. Hence it is said that they have the same blood, the same root, and such like expressions. They are, therefore, in a certain respect, one and the same in separate bodies. The being educated together also, and equality of age, greatly contribute to friendship. For, according to the proverb, quote, equal delights in equal age, close quote and those who are accustomed to the same things are associates. Hence, also, fraternal friendship is assimilated to the friendship of associates. Cousins, likewise, and the remaining kindred, become conjoined from the friendship of brothers, in consequence of immediately originating from the same persons. Some, however, become more united in friendship, and others less, in consequence of the source of their race being nearer or more remote but the friendship of children towards their parents and of men towards the gods is as towards that which is good and transcendent for parents and the gods confer the greatest benefits for they are the causes of existence and of being nourished and when they are of a proper age of being educated a friendship also of this kind possesses the delectable and the useful in a greater degree than the friendship of strangers because their life is in a greater degree more common. Those things, however, are to be found in fraternal friendship, which exist in the friendship of associates, and in a greater degree in those that are worthy, and in short in those that are similar, in proportion as they are more familiar, and love each other from their birth, and in proportion as those who are born from the same parents who are nourished together and similarly educated are more similar in their manners in this friendship likewise the proof which is obtained from time is most abundant and most firm and things pertaining to friendship subsist analogously in the remaining gradations of kindred but the friendship between man and wife appears to be according to nature for man is more a connubial than a political animal and this by how much more a family is prior to and more necessary than a city and the procreation of offspring is more common to all animals in other animals therefore the communion proceeds thus far i e as far as to the procreation of offspring but men and women not only cohabit for the sake of begetting children but also with a view to the necessaries and conveniences of life for their employments are immediately divided and those of the husband are different from those of the wife hence they assist each other referring their own private possessions to the common good of the family on account of these things therefore both the useful and the delectable appear to be contained in this friendship it will also exist on account of virtue 
if the husband and wife are worthy characters for there is a virtue pertaining to each and they will rejoice in a thing of this kind children however appear to be a bond and hence those marriages that are without children are more swiftly dissolved for children are a common good to both the husband and wife and that which is common connects to inquire also how a husband ought to live with his wife and in short one friend with another appears to be nothing else than to inquire how justice subsists between them for it does not appear that there is the same justice between one friend and another nor between one stranger one associate and one disciple with another chapter thirteen since therefore there are three kinds of friendship as was observed in the beginning and according to each some are friends in equality but others according to transcendency for similarly good men are friends and between worthy men who are not equally worthy the more may be the friend of the less worthy and in a similar manner with respect to friendships which subsist on account of delight and on account of utility they may be equal or unequal and different in the advantages with which they are attended this being the case it is requisite that those friends who are equal should be equalized in loving and other things pertaining to friendship but that those who are unequal should render to themselves that which is analogous in transcendencies accusations however and complaints reasonably take place in that friendship alone or principally which is founded in utility for those who are friends on account of virtue are readily disposed to benefit each other for this is the peculiarity of virtue and friendship but with those who contend with each other in kindness there are no accusations nor contests for no one is indignant with him who loves and benefits him but if he is grateful he will recompense him by benefiting him in return he however who transcends in the benefits which he confers obtaining that which he desires will not accuse his friend for each aspires after good nor do accusations and complaints very much take place in the friendships which are founded in pleasure for at one and the same time both obtain the objects of their desire if they rejoice to live together he however will appear to be ridiculous who accuses him by whom he is not delighted when it is not possible to spend his time with him but the friendship which is founded in utility is full of accusations and complaints for since they make use of each other with a view to advantage they are always in want of more and fancy they have less than is proper and blame their friends because they do not obtain as much as they are in want of though they deserve to obtain it but those who benefit are not able to supply as much as those who are benefited require it appears however that as the just is twofold for one kind is unwritten but the other is legal thus also with respect to the friendship which is founded in utility one kind indeed is ethical but the other is legal accusations therefore then especially take place when compacts are formed and dissolved not with a view to the same friendship as that by which they are united but the legal friendship founded in utility is that which subsists by compacts one kind indeed being entirely venal from hand to hand viz such as takes place in buying and selling but another kind is more liberal in which one thing is to be given for another at a stated time but from compact in this friendship however 
that which is owing is manifest and is not ambiguous but a friendly delay is permitted to take place hence with some of these there are no judicial processes but they think it is requisite to love those who form compacts from the obligation of fidelity but the ethical friendship does not consist in compacts but what it gives it gives as to a friend and this is also the case with whatever is imparted by the one to the other he however who gives thinks it fit that he should receive in return an equivalent or more than an equivalent as if he had not given but lent but if he does not receive the retribution which he expected from the contract he accuses his friend and this happens because all or most men wish to obtain things which are truly beautiful but deliberately choose what is advantageous but it is beautiful to benefit not with a view to be benefited in return and it is advantageous to be benefited he therefore who is able ought to make a retribution equivalent to the benefit he has received and willingly for a friend must not return kindness unwillingly if therefore he has erred from the first and has been benefited by an improper person for he was not benefited by a friend nor by one who did this for his sake if this be the case retribution must be made as if he had been benefited by compact hence he who has been benefited by such a one ought to promise that he will make a retribution if he can but if he cannot he who conferred the benefit ought not to think it fit that he should be recompensed so that if possible retribution is to be made in the beginning however it is requisite when a benefit is offered to consider by whom it is offered and with what view so as either to accept or refuse it but it may be doubted whether retribution is to be measured by the advantage of him who receives it or by the beneficence of him who made it for those who receive it say in extenuation that they receive such things from benefactors as are of little use to them and which they might have received from others but on the contrary the benefactors say that they bestow the greatest things which it was in their power to give and which could not be obtained from others and that they conferred them in dangerous circumstances or such like necessities since therefore this friendship subsists on account of utility the measure of it is the advantage of him who is benefited for he is the person who is in want and his friend assists him in order that he may receive an equal benefit in return the assistance therefore afforded by him who is benefited will be as great as that which he received and as much or even more must be given by him in return for it is more beautiful and becoming but in those friendships which are founded in virtue there are no accusations and the deliberate choice of him who benefits resembles a measure for the authority of virtue and manners consists in deliberate choice chapter fourteen dissensions however take place in those friendships which subsist according to transcendency for each thinks it fit that he should have more than the other but when this takes place the friendship is dissolved for the better character of the two thinks it is proper that he should have more than the other for more ought to be distributed to a good man this is also the case with him who is the more useful person of the two 
for they say it is not fit that he who is useless should have an equal portion with him who is useful since ministrant offices will take place and not friendship unless what is done from friendship is according to the desert of the deeds for they are of opinion that as in pecuniary negotiations those who employ a greater sum of money receive more profit thus also it ought to be in friendship the contrary however is the opinion of him who is indigent and who is the worst character for these think that it is the province of a good friend to assist those that are in want for what advantage say they is there in being the friend of a worthy or powerful man if no benefit is to be derived from him it seems however that each thinks rightly and that it is requisite to distribute more to each from friendship yet not of the same thing but more of honour indeed to him who transcends but more of gain to him who is indigent for honour indeed is the reward of virtue and beneficence but gain is the auxiliary of indigence this also appears to be the case in polities for he is not honoured who is the cause of no good to the community since that which is common is given to him who benefits the community but honour is something common for it is not possible for a man at one and the same time to be enriched and honoured by the community since no one endures to have less in all things hence to him who is inferior in wealth honour is given but money to him who is to be bribed by gifts for distribution according to desert equalizes and preserves friendship as we have before observed in this manner therefore it is requisite to act towards those who are unequal and he who is benefited either in wealth or in virtue should remunerate him by whom he is benefited with honour thus recompensing him as far as he is able for friendship requires that which is possible and not that which is according to desert for a recompense according to desert is not possible in all things as in honours conferred on the gods and parents since no one can bestow these according to desert but he who pays homage to them to the utmost of his power appears to be a worthy man hence though it would seem not to be lawful for a son to abandon his father yet it is lawful for a father to abandon his son for a return ought to be made by him who is a debtor but a son can do nothing worthy of the benefits he has received from his father so that he will always be his debtor those however to whom others are indebted have the power of abandoning their debtors and therefore a father has this power at the same time however no father perhaps will abandon his son unless the son is transcendently depraved for exclusive of natural friendship it is human not to refuse giving assistance when it is wanted but if the son is depraved he is either to be avoided by his father or his father must not be anxious to assist him a depraved son however sometimes hates his father or at least does not very much endeavour to assist him for the multitude wish to be benefited but they avoid acting beneficently as a useless thing and thus much concerning these particulars end of book eight book nine chapter one in all friendships however which are of a dissimilar species the analogous as we have already observed equalizes and preserves friendship thus for instance in the political friendship 
to the shoemaker a retribution is made for his shoes according to their worth and to the weaver and other artificers here therefore a common measure money is employed and to this everything is referred and by this is measured but in the amatory friendship sometimes indeed the lover accuses the object of his love that though he loves her beyond measure he is not beloved in return though if it should so happen he has nothing which can excite love frequently however she who is beloved complains that her lover having formerly promised everything now performs nothing that he had promised but things of this kind happen when the one indeed loves the object of his love on account of pleasure but the other loves her lover on account of utility and these things are not present with both for since the friendship exists on account of these things a dissolution of it takes place when those things are not accomplished which are the final causes of their love for they do not love each other but what each possesses which is not stable hence such also are their friendships viz they are not stable the friendship however which is founded in manners i e virtuous friendship since it exists per se or independent of external circumstances is permanent as we have before observed but friends also disagree when other things happen to them and not those which were the objects of their desire for when a man does not obtain that which he desired it is just as if he obtained nothing thus a certain person promised a harper that he would reward him in proportion to the excellence of his singing but in the morning when the harper demanded the fulfilment of his promise he said that he had returned pleasure for pleasure if therefore this i e pleasure had been the wish of each the harper would have been sufficiently recompensed but if the object of the one was delight and of the other gain and if the object of the one was accomplished but not of the other the compact between them was not well fulfilled for a man will attend to those things of which he is in want and for the sake of them will give what is requisite with respect however to the recompense which ought to be made whether ought it to be estimated by him who gives or by him who receives for he who gives first seems to leave to the receiver what the recompense should be which they say protagoras also did for when he had taught anything he ordered the learner to estimate what appeared to him to be the worth of the knowledge he had gained and he received according to his valuation but in things of this kind to some persons it is sufficient to say quote, sufficient be the price a friend appoints Close quote. those however who having first received money afterwards perform nothing which they had promised to do on account of the excess of magnitude of their promise are deservedly accused for they do not perform what they had agreed to accomplish but the sophists perhaps are compelled to do this because no one would give money for those things which they know these therefore because they do not perform that for which they received a reward are justly blamed 
with those persons however among whom there is no compact for services performed we have already observed that those who first give to others on their own account are not to be blamed for of this kind is the friendship which is founded in virtue retribution also must be made according to deliberate choice for this is the province of a friend and of virtue this conduct likewise as it seems should be adopted by those who are associates in philosophy for the worth of philosophy is not to be measured by money nor can any honour be conferred equivalent to its dignity but perhaps it is sufficient that a recompense as great as possible is made in the same manner as towards the gods and parents where however the gift is not such as this but is conferred with a view to a certain thing i e with a view to some recompense a remuneration perhaps ought especially to be made which to both friends will appear to be according to desert but if this should not happen to take place it may not only appear to be necessary but also to be just that he who first received should determine what is an equal compensation for if as much advantage or pleasure is returned as was received the remuneration will be according to desert for this also appears to take place in traffic and in some places there are laws which forbid any judicial processes respecting voluntary contracts as if it were fit that in communions of this kind there should be no other judge nor any other law but that all differences should be decided by the person in whom trust is reposed and by whom such contracts are used for they think that he who was instructed to estimate the retribution will judge more justly than he who reposed that trust since for the most part those who possess and those who wish to receive anything do not estimate equitably for every one thinks that his own property and what he gives are of great value at the same time however the retribution should be as great as it is determined to be by those who receive the gift perhaps however a thing is not to be estimated to be worth so much as it appeared to its possessor but to be worth as much as he would have estimated it to be before he possessed it chapter two such particulars however as the following are dubious viz whether all things are to be assigned to a father and he is to be obeyed in all things or whether the sick man ought indeed to obey the physician and he who votes for the general of an army ought to give the preference to a man skilled in warlike concerns and in a similar manner whether it is proper to be subservient to a friend rather than to a worthy man and whether remuneration is rather to be made to a benefactor than to an associate if it is impossible to make it to both it is not therefore easy to determine all such particulars accurately for they have many and all various differences in magnitude and parvitude in the beautiful and the necessary but it is not immanifest that not all things are to be given to the same person and that for the most part benefits are rather to be returned to those from whom they were received than gifts are to be bestowed on associates just as it is more proper to return a loan to him from whom it was borrowed than to make a present to an associate perhaps however 
this must not always be done for if any one should be made a prisoner by robbers it may be inquired whether he who redeems him should be redeemed in his turn be he who he may or whether the price of redemption should be given to him who demands it as his due though he has not been taken prisoner or whether in preference to all these a father ought to be redeemed for it would seem that a man should rather ransom his father than himself universally therefore as we have said a debt ought to be paid but if the donation surpasses in the beautiful or the necessary we should incline to it rather than to the discharge of a debt for sometimes it is not equitable to return a benefit which another person has first conferred when he indeed conferred the benefit knowing that it was bestowed on a worthy man but the retribution will be made to one whom he who is to make it believes to be a depraved man for neither sometimes is a loan to be granted to him who has lent for the one indeed i e the depraved man thinking that he shall receive back what he has lent grants a loan to the worthy man but the other i e the worthy man does not expect that what he has lent will be returned by the depraved man whether therefore the thing thus exists in reality the merit of the parties is not equal or whether it does not thus exist but it is fancied that it does they will not appear to act absurdly therefore as it has frequently been observed assertions concerning passions and actions are similarly definite and certain with the things about which they are conversant it is not therefore immanifest that the same things are not to be bestowed on all men nor all things on a father as neither are all things to be sacrificed to jupiter since however different things are to be returned to parents brothers associates and benefactors a retribution is to be made to each of such things as are proper and appropriate and thus indeed men appear to act for they invite their kindred to weddings since the genus of these is common and therefore the actions also which are conversant with this are common for the same reason likewise they think it especially necessary that kindred should be present at funerals but it would seem that it is especially necessary to supply our parents with nutriment because we are their debtors and it is more beautiful to supply with these things the causes of our existence than ourselves honour also is to be paid to parents as to the gods yet not every honour is to be paid to them for neither is the same honour to be paid to a father and a mother nor again to a wise man or to the general of an army but to a father paternal and to a mother maternal honour is to be paid to every elderly man likewise honour is to be paid according to his age by rising from our seat and resigning it to him and by other things of the like kind to associates again and brothers freedom of speech must be granted and a participation in common of all things to kindred also to those of the same tribe to fellow-citizens and to all the rest of mankind we should endeavour to distribute what is appropriate and judiciously determine what pertains to each according to familiarity and virtue or use a judgment therefore may more easily be made respecting those who are of the same genus but in those of a different genus the decision is more difficult 
we must not however on this account desist but determine as far as circumstances will permit chapter three the dissolution also of friendships is attended with a doubt viz whether friendship is to be dissolved with those who do not continue to be our friends or shall we say that with those who are friends on account of advantage and delight when they no longer possess these it is by no means absurd that the friendship should be dissolved for they were the friends of these things viz of things advantageous and delectable and these failing it is reasonable to suppose that they will no longer be attached to each other he however may be justly accused who loving another person on account of advantage or delight pretends that he loves on account of manners i e virtuously for as we said in the beginning numerous dissensions take place among friends when they are not in reality such friends as they fancy they are when therefore any one is deceived and apprehends that he is beloved on account of his manners though at the same time he does nothing that is virtuous he should blame himself but when he is deceived by the pretensions of the others it is just to accuse the deceiver and more so than those who adulterate money because the improbity pertains to a more honourable thing if however he admits him into his friendship as a good man but he becomes a bad man or should appear to have become a bad man is he still to be beloved or is this not possible since not everything deserves to be beloved but that only which is good neither therefore is a bad man to be beloved nor is it necessary that he should for it is not fit to be a lover of what is depraved nor to be assimilated to a bad man and we have already observed that the similar is a friend to the similar is the friendship therefore to be immediately dissolved or shall we say not with all persons but with those who are incurable on account of their depravity for assistance ought rather to be given to the manners of those who are capable of being corrected than to their worldly possessions because this is better and more adapted to friendship he however who dissolves such a friendship will appear not to act at all absurdly for he was not a friend to this man or to a man of this description hence as he cannot restore him being thus changed to virtue he abandons him but if the one indeed continues such as he was at first and the other should become more worthy so as very much to transcend in virtue is the latter still to use the former as a friend or is this not possible this however becomes especially evident in a great interval as in the friendships formed from childhood for if one of these should still remain a child in understanding but the other should be a most excellent man how can they be friends when they are neither addicted to the same pursuits nor delighted and pained with the same things for neither will these be present with them towards each other but without these they cannot be friends for they cannot live together concerning these particulars however we have already spoken shall we say therefore that when the friendship is dissolved the one ought nevertheless so to conduct himself towards the other as if he had never been his friend or is it necessary that he should still retain the memory of their past friendship and as we think it is proper to gratify friends rather than strangers thus also shall we say something must be conceded to former friends on account of pristine friendship 
when the dissolution of it was not occasioned by an excess of depravity? Chapter 4 With respect, however, to friendly offices, and those things by which friendships are defined, they seem to proceed from the conduct of a man towards himself. For he is defined to be a friend who wishes well to another, and performs things which are really or apparently good for his sake, or who wishes his friend to exist and live for his sake, just as mothers are affected towards their children, or friends who, for a time, are offended with each other. Others, however, define a friend to be one who lives with another person, and who chooses the same things, or mutually grieves and rejoices with him. But this also especially happens to mothers, by some one of these particulars. Likewise, they define friendship. Each of these, however, exists in the worthy man towards himself, but they exist in other men, so far as they apprehend themselves to be worthy. For it seems, as we have before observed, that virtue and a worthy man are a measure to every one, since a worthy man accords with himself and aspires after the same things with his whole soul, i.e. with both the rational and irrational part. Hence he wishes for himself both real and apparent good, and acts conformably to his wishes. For it is the province of a worthy man to labor in what is good, and this for his own sake, since he labors for the sake of his dianoetic part, which each of us appears to be, i.e., in which our very essence consists. He also wishes that he himself may live and be preserved, and especially this part, by which he is wise. For to a worthy man, existence is a good thing. Every one, however, wishes well to himself. But there is no one who, if he should become a different person from what he is, would choose, having lost his identity, that the person into whom he is changed should possess all things. For now also God possesses good, but he always remains such as he is, whatever that may be. It would seem, however, that each of us is that which energizes intellectually, or that each of us is principally this. Such a man also wishes to live with himself, since he does this willingly. For the remembrance of what he has done is delightful to him, and his hopes of what is future are good, but such things are delectable. He abounds likewise in his dianoetic part with contemplations, and he is especially pained and pleased in conjunction with himself. For the same thing is always painful and pleasing to him, and not a different thing at a different time, since, as I may say, he is without repentance, i.e., he does nothing of which he has occasion to repent. Since, therefore, each of these things is present with the worthy man towards himself, but he is disposed towards his friends in the same manner as towards himself, for a friend is another self, this being the case, the friendship also of these appears to be something, and those with whom these things are present appear to be friends. At present, however, we shall omit the consideration whether or not there can be friendship between a man and himself. But it would seem that there may be friendship between a man and himself when the rational and irrational parts are no longer two things but one thing, through their union and consent. And also because an excess of friendship resembles the regard which a man has for himself. The particulars, likewise, which we have mentioned, are seen to take place among the multitude, though they are depraved characters. Shall we say, therefore, 
that so far as they are pleasing to themselves and apprehend themselves to be worthy so far they participate of these things for these things are not inherent nor do they even appear to be inherent in any one of those who are very depraved and wicked and nearly indeed they are not inherent even in those who are merely depraved for they are discordant with themselves and like the incontinent they desire one thing but wish another for they choose delectable things which are noxious instead of those things which appear to them to be good others again through timidity and indolence abstain from doing those things which they think are best for themselves but those by whom many and dreadful deeds are performed and who are hated on account of their depravity fly from life and destroy themselves depraved men likewise search for those with whom they may pass their time but fly from themselves for they recollect when they are alone the many crimes they have committed and expect the evils which are attendant on such wickedness will befall them but they forget these when they are with others possessing likewise nothing amiable they are not affected in a friendly manner towards themselves persons therefore of this description neither rejoice nor condole with themselves for their soul is in a state of sedition and one part of it indeed is pained on account of depravity when it abstains from certain things but the other part is delighted and the one part indeed draws this but the other that way the soul as it were being lacerated by sense and reason if however it is not possible for him to be at one and the same time pained and pleased yet after a short time he is pained that he was pleased and wishes that these delectable things had not befallen him for bad men are full of repentance the bad man therefore does not appear to be disposed in a friendly manner even towards himself because he possesses nothing amiable but if it is very miserable to be in this condition every one should strenuously fly from depravity and endeavour to be worthy for thus a man will be disposed in a friendly manner towards himself and will become the friend of others chapter five benevolence however resembles indeed friendship yet is not friendship for benevolence may be exerted towards unknown persons and latently but friendship cannot these things therefore have been asserted before but neither is it dilection for it has not either impulse or appetite and these are consequent to dilection and dilection indeed subsists in conjunction with custom but benevolence may be suddenly produced thus the spectators sometimes become suddenly benevolent towards those who contend for prizes at public solemnities and unite with them in their wishes for success but they do not at all cooperate with them for as we have said they become suddenly benevolent towards them and love them superficially benevolence therefore appears to be the beginning of friendship just as the pleasure received through the sight is the beginning of love for no one loves who has not been previously delighted with the form of the beloved object he however who is delighted with this form does not love the more on that account but his love is then more ardent when he longs for the object of his love when absent and desires her presence thus also it is impossible for men to be friends unless they have been first benevolent but those who are benevolent only do not on this account love each other the more for they only wish well to those to whom they are benevolent but they do not cooperate with them in anything nor do they endure any molestation for their sake 
Hence, it may be metaphorically said that benevolence is sluggish friendship, but by length of time and custom it may become friendship, yet not that friendship which is founded in utility, nor that which is founded in delight. For benevolence does not subsist on account of these things. For he indeed who is benefited distributes benevolence in return for the favors he has received, in so doing acting justly. But he who wishes prosperity to the actions of any one, hoping that through him he shall be enriched, does not appear to be benevolent to him, but rather to himself, as neither is he a friend if he pays attention to him with a view to a certain advantage. In short, benevolence is produced through virtue, and a certain probity, when some one appears beautiful, or brave, or the like to another person, in the same manner as we said it was produced towards those who contend for prizes at public solemnities. Chapter 6. Concord likewise appears to pertain to friendship, on which account it is not an agreement in opinion, for this indeed may exist between those who are ignorant of each other. Nor are those said to be concordant who are unanimous about anything, as about the celestial bodies, for it does not belong to friendship to be concordant about these things. But cities are said to be concordant when they are unanimous about things which contribute to the general good, and when they deliberately choose the same things, and do what has been deemed in common fit to be done. Men are, therefore, concordant about practical affairs, and of these about such as surpass others in magnitude, and which may befall two persons or all men. Thus cities are in concord when it appears to all citizens that magistrates should be elected, or that a warlike compact should be formed with the Lacedaemonians, or that Pittacus should be the archon, because he also is willing to accept this office. But when each of the citizens wishes to be himself the archon, as was the case among the Phoenicians, then they are in a state of sedition. For concord does not consist in each person forming the same conception about a thing, whatever that thing may be, but when they agree in wishing the same thing to the same person, as when the people and worthy men agree in wishing that the most excellent men may govern, for thus all the citizens obtain what they desire. Concord, however, appears to be political friendship, as also it is said to be, for it is conversant with what is advantageous, and with those things which relate to the purposes of life. But a concord of this kind exists among worthy men, for these are in concord with themselves and with each other, since they are, as I may say, conversant with the same things. For the wishes of men of this description are permanent, and do not undergo a flux and reflux, like the Euripus. For their will is directed to things just and advantageous, and these they desire in common. But bad men cannot be concordant, except in a small degree, just as they cannot likewise be friends, since they desire in things advantageous to have the greater part themselves. But in labors and ministrant services they are deficient. Each, however, wishing that these things may befall himself, he explores how he may prevent others from obtaining that which he desires. For concord perishes when justice, which is a common good, is not preserved. It happens, therefore, that they are in a state of sedition, compelling indeed each other, but being themselves unwilling to do what is just. Chapter 7 Benefactors, however, appear to love in a greater degree those whom they benefit, than those who are benefited 
do their benefactors and the cause of this is investigated as a thing not conformable to reason to most men therefore the cause appears to be this that these are debtors and those the persons to whom they are indebted hence as in loans debtors wish their creditors not to be in existence but creditors are concerned for the safety of their debtors thus also benefactors wish those whom they have benefited to exist in order that they may obtain a recompense but those who are benefited are not concerned about making a recompense epicharmus therefore perhaps would say that these things are asserted by most men in consequence of looking to the depravity of mankind but to act in this manner seems to be conformable to human nature for the multitude are unmindful of the benefits they have received and are more desirous to be benefited than to benefit it would seem however that the cause of this is more natural and does not resemble that which pertains to the loan of money for creditors do not love their debtors but wish them to be preserved for the sake of receiving what they have lent but benefactors love and are fond of those they have benefited though at present they derive no advantage from them nor are likely to derive any in future and this also happens to be the case with artificers for every artist loves his own work more than he would be beloved by it if it should become animated perhaps however this particularly happens to be the case with poets for they love their own poems beyond measure and have an affection for them as if they were children similarly therefore to this is that which pertains to benefactors for he who is benefited is their work hence this person is more dear to them than a work is to him by whom it is produced the cause however of this is that existence is to all beings eligible and lovely but we exist in energy for we exist by living and acting he therefore who produces a work is in a certain respect in energy in the work hence he loves the work with a parental affection because existence also is dear to him but this is natural for what the agent is in capacity is indicated by the work in energy at the same time also to the benefactor that which results from the action is beautiful so that he is delighted with him in whom it is inherent but to him who is benefited nothing is beautiful in the benefactor but if anything is it is utility then this is in a less degree delightful and lovely the energy however of present good is delectable as is likewise the hope of future and the memory of past good but the good is most delectable which subsists in energy and in a similar manner that which is lovely to him who benefits therefore the work remains for a beautiful deed is lasting but to him who is benefited the advantage passes away the memory likewise of beautiful deeds is delectable but the memory of useful actions is not very delightful or is so in a less degree it appears however that the contrary takes place with respect to expectation and dilection indeed resembles production but to be beloved is similar to the being passive to love therefore and such things as pertain to friendship are consequent to those who excel in action again all men love in a greater degree things which are laboriously obtained thus for instance men love the wealth which they have themselves procured more than that which they have received from others it appears therefore that to be benefited is a thing unattended with labour 
but that to benefit is laborious. On this account, also, mothers love their children in a greater degree than fathers, for the part which they sustain in the generation of them is more laborious than that which fathers sustain, and they, in a greater degree, know that they are their own offspring. But it would seem that this reasoning also is adapted to benefactors. Chapter 8 It may, however, be doubted whether a man ought to love himself more than some other person. For those are reprehended who love themselves transcendently, and they are called, as a thing disgraceful, lovers of themselves. And a bad man, indeed, appears to do everything for the sake of himself, and in a greater degree the more he is depraved. Hence he is accused as doing nothing without a view to his own advantage. But the worthy man does everything on account of the beautiful in conduct. And he acts in a greater degree in this manner, and for the sake of his friend, the more worthy he is but he neglects to act for his own sake. The deeds, however, of men are discordant with these assertions not unreasonably. For they say that he who is eminently a friend ought to love his friend in an eminent degree. But he is eminently a friend who wishes well to him who is the subject of this wish for his sake, though no one should know it. These things, however, are especially inherent in a man towards himself and therefore everything else by which a friend is defined. For we have before observed that all friendly offices proceed from himself, and pervade to others. And all proverbs accord with this, such as that friends are one soul, that among friends all things are common, that friendship is equality, and that the knee is near to the leg. For all these things are especially present with a man towards himself, since a man is especially a friend to himself, and therefore he is especially to be beloved by himself. It may, however, be reasonably doubted which of these arguments it is requisite to follow, since both of them are accompanied with probability. Perhaps, therefore, it is necessary to divide such like arguments, and to distinguish how far, and in what respect each of them is true. If, therefore, we understand in what manner each of these denominates a man a lover of himself, perhaps the thing will become manifest. Those, therefore, who consider this as a disgraceful thing, call those men lovers of themselves, who distribute to themselves the greater part, in wealth and honours, and corporeal pleasures. For the multitude aspire after these things, and are earnestly employed in endeavouring to acquire them, as being the best of things and on this account they become objects of contention. Hence, those who vindicate to themselves more of these things than is fit are subservient to desires, and in short to passions, and the irrational part of the soul. But the multitude are persons of this description. Hence also the appellation was derived from the multitude who are depraved. Justly, therefore, are those reprehended who are in this way lovers of themselves. That the multitude, however, are accustomed to denominate those who distribute to themselves things of this kind, lovers of themselves, is not immanifest. For he who always earnestly endeavours to act justly, or temperately, or to act according to any other of the virtues, the most of all things, and in short, who always vindicates to himself that which is beautiful in conduct, 
such a man will never be called by any one a lover of himself nor will he be blamed by any one it would seem however that such a man as this is in a greater degree a lover of himself for he distributes to himself things which are most eminently beautiful and good is gratified in his most principal part intellect and in all things is obedient to it but as that which is the most principal thing in a city appears to be most eminently the city and this is the case in every other system of things thus also that which is most principal in man is especially the man he therefore who loves this principal part of himself is especially a lover of himself and is gratified with this hence also one man is denominated continent and another incontinent because in the former intellect has dominion but has not in the latter in consequence of every man being this i e intellect men likewise appear to have performed things and to have performed them willingly which they have especially performed in conjunction with reason that every man therefore is principally intellect and that the worthy man principally loves this is not immanifest hence he will be especially a lover of himself according to a different species of self-love from that which is disgraceful and differing as much from it as to live according to reason differs from living according to passion and as much as the desire of that which is beautiful in conduct differs from the desire of that which appears to be advantageous all men therefore approve of and applaud those who in a manner superior to others endeavour to perform beautiful actions but if that which is really beautiful in conduct was that for which all men contend and if they endeavoured to perform the most beautiful deeds whatever is becoming would be possessed by all men in common and the greatest of goods by every one particularly since virtue is a thing of this kind hence it is necessary that a good man should be a lover of himself for he himself is benefited by acting well and he also benefits others but it is not proper that a depraved man should be a lover of himself for he will hurt both himself and his neighbours in consequence of being subservient to base passions with the depraved man therefore there is a dissonance between what he ought to do and what he does but with the worthy man those things which he ought to do he also does for every intellect chooses that which is best for itself and the worthy man is obedient to intellect that however which is asserted of the worthy man is true that for the sake of his friends and his country he will do many things even though it should be requisite to die for them for he will give up riches and honours and in short those goods which are the objects of contention with mankind in order that he may vindicate to himself that which is beautiful in conduct for he will rather choose to be very much delighted for a short time than to experience a small delight for a long time and to live worthily for one year than casually for many years he will also prefer one beautiful and great action to many and small actions and this perhaps happened to be the case with those who have died for their country or their friends worthy men therefore choose a great good for themselves and will give up their riches in order that they may obtain a greater number of friends for thus indeed riches befall the friend of the worthy man but that which is really beautiful befalls the worthy man himself but he distributes to himself the greater good 
there is also the same mode of conduct with him as to honours and dominion for he will give up all these to his friend for this to him is beautiful and laudable reasonably therefore does he appear to be a worthy man who chooses that which is beautiful in conduct instead of these things it may likewise happen that he may give up actions to his friends and that it may be better for him to be the cause of their being performed by his friends than to do them himself hence in all audible things the worthy man appears to distribute to himself more of that which is truly beautiful after this manner therefore as we have said it is necessary that a man should be a lover of himself but it is not proper he should be so in the way in which the multitude love themselves chapter nine with respect to the happy man also it is doubted whether he will be in want of friends or not for it is said that those who are blessed and sufficient to themselves have no need of friends because things truly good are present with them as they are therefore say they sufficient to themselves they are not in want of anything but a friend being a man's other self imparts to him those things which he cannot obtain through himself whence also it is said quote, when divinity is propitious what need is there of friends Close quote. it seems however to be absurd that those who attribute every good to the happy man should not give him friends which appear to be the greatest of external goods but if it is the province of a friend rather to benefit than to be benefited and if it is also the province of a good man and of virtue to benefit and it is better to do good to friends than to strangers the worthy man will want those who may be benefited by him hence likewise it is inquired whether there is more need of friends in adversity than in prosperity because he who is unfortunate is in want of those by whom he may be benefited and the fortunate are in want of those whom they may benefit perhaps however it is also absurd to make the blessed man a solitary being for no one would choose to possess every good by himself since man is a social animal and is naturally adapted to live with others this therefore will also be the case with the happy man for he possesses those things which are naturally good but it is evident that it is better to pass the time with friends and worthy men than with strangers and casual persons hence the happy man has need of friends in what respect therefore is the first assertion true that the happy man is not in want of friends is it because the multitude think those persons to be friends who are useful to them the blessed man therefore will not be in any want of such persons since real good is present with him neither therefore will he be in want of those who are friends on account of the delectable or he will want them but for a short time for since his life is delightful he will be in no want of adventitious pleasure but not being in want of friends of this description he does not appear to be in want of friends this however perhaps is not true for it was observed by us in the beginning that felicity is a certain energy but with respect to energy it is evident that it is in generation or is passing into existence and is not present with him who energizes like a certain possession but if to be happy consists in living and energizing and the energy of the good man is of itself worthy and delectable as we observed in the beginning if also that which is appropriate ranks among the number of things that are delightful but we are more able to survey our neighbours than ourselves and their actions than our own 
and if the actions of worthy men that are friends are delightful to good men bracket for both have those things which are naturally delectable close bracket if this be the case the blessed man will be in want of such friends as these since he deliberately chooses to survey worthy and appropriate actions but the actions of a good man who is a friend are of this description it is likewise thought to be necessary that the happy man should live delectably the life therefore of a solitary man is indeed difficult for it is not easy for a man to energize continually by himself but with others and towards others it is easy the energy therefore will be more continued which is delectable by itself which should necessarily be present with the blessed man for the worthy man so far as he is worthy rejoices in the actions which are conformable to virtue but is indignant with those which proceed from vice just as a musician is delighted with beautiful melodies but is pained with those that are bad a certain exercise of virtue likewise will be produced from living with good men as also theognis says to those however who consider this affair more physically it appears that a worthy friend is naturally eligible to a worthy man for it has been said by us that what is naturally good is of itself to a worthy man good and delectable to live however is in animals defined by the power of sense but in men by the power of sense or intellection but power is referred to energy and that which has the principal authority in a thing consists in energy it seems therefore that to live is properly either to perceive sensibly or intellectually and to live is among the number of things which are good and delectable for it is a definite thing but that which is definite pertains to the nature of the good as it also appeared to the pythagoreans and that which is naturally good is also good to the worthy man hence to live appears to all men to be delightful a depraved and corrupted life however ought not to be assumed nor a life of pain for such a life is indefinite as well as the things which belong to it this however will be more evident in what we shall say concerning pain hereafter but if to live is itself good it is also delectable and it appears that it is so from this that all men aspire after it and especially worthy and blessed men for to these life is most eligible and the life of these is most blessed he however who sees perceives that he sees he who hears perceives that he hears and he who walks perceives that he walks and in a similar manner in other things there is something which perceives that we energize but we may perceive that we perceive and we may understand that we understand for us however to perceive that we perceive or to understand that we understand is for us to be for we have said that our very being consists in perceiving sensibly or intellectually but for a man to perceive that he lives is among the number of things essentially delectable for life is naturally good and for a man to perceive that good is present with him is delightful but to live is eligible and especially to good men because existence to them is good and delectable for having a co-sensation of essential good they are delighted as however the worthy man is disposed towards himself thus also he is disposed towards his friends for a friend is another self 
as therefore it is eligible to every one for himself to exist thus also or similarly it is eligible to him for his friend to exist but we have said that existence is eligible because it is for a man to perceive himself which is good and a sensation of this kind is of itself delightful it is necessary therefore that he should at the same time perceive that his friend exists but this will be effected by living together with him and in a communication with him of words and thoughts for it would seem that in this way men are said to live together and not as cattle by feeding in the same place if therefore existence is of itself eligible to the blessed man since it is naturally good and delectable the like also must be asserted of a friend and hence a friend will be among the number of eligible things to the happy man but that which is eligible to him ought to be present with him or in this respect he will be indigent the man therefore who is to be happy will require worthy friends chapter ten are numerous friends therefore to be procured or as it appears to be elegantly said of hospitality quote, want not nor be of multitudes a guest Close quote. may it also in friendship be appropriately said that a man should neither be without a friend nor again should have an excessive multitude of friends this assertion therefore will indeed appear to be very much adapted to those who regard utility in friendship for to be alternately subservient to many persons is laborious and life is not sufficient to them to perform this hence more friends than are sufficient for the proper purposes of life are superfluous and are impediments to a worthy life hence there is no need of them and with respect to the friends that are procured for the sake of pleasure a very few are sufficient in the same manner as sauce to food but whether or not ought a good man to have many worthy friends or shall we say that there is a certain measure of a multitude of friends in the same manner as there is of a city for a city will not consist of ten men nor is it any longer a city if it is composed of a hundred thousand men perhaps however one certain number of citizens cannot be assigned but every number may be admitted which is between certain definite terms of friends therefore there is also a certain definite multitude and perhaps those persons are not numerous with whom it is possible for a man to live for this appears to be a thing of a most friendly nature but that it is not possible for a man to live with many and distribute himself among them is not immanifest farther still it is necessary if the friends are numerous that they should be friends to each other if all of them intend to pass the time with each other but this among many friends is laborious it is likewise difficult to rejoice and grieve appropriately together with many persons for it is probable that it may at one and the same time happen that a man ought to rejoice together with one person and grieve together with another perhaps therefore it is well not to endeavour to have a great number of friends but as many as are sufficient for the purposes of social life for it would seem that it is not possible to be very much a friend to many persons hence neither is it possible to love many for love is a certain excess of friendship but this is confined to one person and therefore vehement love must be confined to a few that this indeed is the case seems to be verified by themselves for there are not many friends according to that friendship which subsists among associates 
but the friendships which are celebrated are said to have subsisted between two persons those however who are the friends of many persons and are familiarly conversant with all of them appear to be the friends of no one except politically and these persons are also called obsequious it is possible therefore to be politically a friend to many persons though he who is so should happen not to be obsequious but a truly worthy man but it is not possible to be a friend to many on account of virtue and for their own sake but we must be satisfied if we can find a few such i e who are true friends chapter eleven but whether is there more need of friends in prosperity or in adversity for in both they are sought after for those who are in adversity require assistance and those who are in prosperity are in want of associates and those whom they may benefit since they wish to confer favours on others in adversity therefore friends are more necessary on which account when this is the case there is need of useful friends in prosperity however friends are a more worthy and beautiful possession on which account also men whose circumstances are prosperous search for worthy friends for it is more eligible to benefit these and with these to pass through life for the presence itself of friends is delightful both in prosperity and adversity since the grief of those who are in affliction is lightened when their friends participate of their sorrow hence likewise it may be doubted whether friends share a part of the affliction of their friends as if it were part of a burden or is this not the case but the presence of friends being delightful the conception that they participate of the sorrow produces a diminution of the grief whether therefore those who are in affliction are alleviated through these causes or through some other cause we shall omit to investigate what we have mentioned however appears to happen but the presence of friends appears to be something mixed for the sight itself of friends is delectable and especially to those in adverse circumstances and it becomes a certain auxiliary against affliction for a friend possesses a consoling power both in his presence and his words if he is dexterous since he knows the manners of his friend and with what he is pleased and pained it is painful however to perceive that our friend is afflicted by our misfortunes for every one avoids being the cause of pain to his friends hence those who are of a virile nature are careful to prevent their friends from being afflicted in conjunction with themselves unless they perceive that by subjecting their friends to a little pain they shall themselves experience an alleviation of great affliction and in short they do not permit others to lament with them because they are not themselves addicted to lamentation but women who are weaker than the rest of their sex and men who resemble them are delighted with those who groan with them and love them as their friends and the associates of their sorrow in all things however it is necessary to imitate the better character but the presence of friends in prosperity is attended with a pleasing association and with the conception that they are delighted with our good fortune hence it would seem to be necessary that in prosperity we should readily and cheerfully invite our friends to partake of our good fortune for it is beautiful to be beneficent but that we should be remiss in inviting them to partake of our ill fortune for it is requisite to impart to our friends as little as possible of evils whence it is said quote, that i am wretched is sufficient 
but friends are then especially to be called upon when having received small molestations we can be greatly benefited by their presence on the contrary it is perhaps proper to go to those who are in adversity uncalled and cheerfully for it is the province of a friend to benefit and especially to benefit those who are in want and who do not think fit to solicit relief for this is better and more delectable to both with fortunate friends however we should cheerfully co-operate for in prosperity also there is need of a friend but we should slowly betake ourselves to a friend in order to be benefited by him for it is not beautiful to be readily and cheerfully disposed to be benefited it is perhaps however requisite to be cautious that we do not conduct ourselves unpleasantly in rejecting the beneficence of our friends for this sometimes happens to be eligible in all things chapter twelve whether therefore as to lovers the sight of the beloved object is most delectable and they prefer this sense to the rest because love especially subsists and is produced from this thus also it is most eligible to friends to live together for friendship is communion and in the same manner as a man is affected towards himself he is also affected towards his friend but it is eligible to every one to perceive with respect to himself that he exists and lives and therefore this is also eligible with respect to a friend this energy however is affected among friends by living together so that this is reasonably desired by them and that in which to every one his very being consists or for the sake of which he chooses to live in this he wishes to pass his life with his friends hence some friends indeed drink together others play at dice together others engage in gymnastic exercises and hunt together or philosophize together but they severally pass their time together in that to which of all things in life they are most attached for wishing to live with their friends they do these things and communicate with them in these through which they are of opinion they associate together the friendship therefore of bad men is depraved for being unstable they communicate with each other in bad things and they become depraved being assimilated to each other but the friendship of worthy men is worthy and is mutually increased by mutual converse they also appear to become better by energizing with and correcting each other for they mutually express those things with which they are delighted whence it is said quote, from good men what is good is learnt and thus much concerning friendship it remains to discuss in the next place pleasure end of book nine book ten chapter one after these things perhaps it follows that we should discuss pleasure for this appears to be especially familiar and allied to our race hence those who educate youth regulate them by pleasure and pain as by a rudder but it appears to be a thing of the greatest consequence with respect to the virtue of manners to rejoice in those things in which it is proper to rejoice and to hate those things which it is proper to hate for these things extend through the whole of life and have a preponderation and power towards virtue and a happy life since things which are delectable are indeed the objects of deliberate choice but those that are painful are avoided it seems however that things of this kind are by no means to be passed over in silence 
especially since they possess an abundant ambiguity for some indeed say that good itself is pleasure but others on the contrary assert that pleasure is a very bad thing the former indeed being perhaps persuaded that it is so but the latter thinking that it will be more beneficial to our life to evince that pleasure ranks among bad things even though it should not for the multitude tend to it and are subservient to pleasures hence say they it is necessary to lead them to the pursuit of the contrary to pleasure for thus they may arrive at the medium perhaps however this is not well said for words respecting things which pertain to passions and actions are less credible than deeds when therefore they are discordant with the perceptions of sense being despised they also subvert the truth for he who blames pleasure if he is at any time seen to desire it seems to incline towards it as if every pleasure was of this attractive nature for to distinguish one pleasure from another is not the province of the multitude true assertions therefore appear not only to be most useful with respect to knowledge but also with respect to life for they are believed when they accord with deeds hence they exhort those who understand them to live conformably to them of things of this kind therefore thus much may suffice let us now discuss the assertions of others concerning pleasure chapter two eudoxus therefore thought that pleasure was good itself because all animals are seen to desire it both such as are rational and such as are irrational but in all things the eligible is good and that which is especially eligible is the best of things and because all things tend to the same thing it is an indication that the object to which they tend is to all things that which is most excellent for everything discovers that which is good to it in the same manner as it discovers nutriment hence that which is good to all things and which all things desire is good itself these arguments however are rendered credible more through the virtuous manners of their author than through themselves for it appears that he was a remarkably temperate man it does not seem therefore that he made these assertions as the friend of pleasure but because he believed them to be true it likewise appeared to him to be no less evident that pleasure is good itself from the contrary for pain is of itself avoided by all animals and in a similar manner the contrary to pain is eligible to all animals but that is especially eligible which we choose not on account of something else nor for the sake of another thing it is however acknowledged that pleasure is a thing of this kind for no one asks another person what the final cause is why he is delighted as if pleasure were a thing eligible of itself and which renders the good to which it is added more eligible such for instance as to act justly and temperately the good therefore is itself increased by itself this argument therefore evinces that pleasure ranks among the number of goods and that it is not more good than another good for every good in conjunction with another good is more eligible than when it is alone plato also subverts an argument of this kind that pleasure is not good itself for he says that a delectable life in conjunction with wisdom is more eligible than without it but if the mixed life is better than a life of pleasure alone pleasure will not be good itself for good itself will not become more eligible by anything being added to it
it is evident however that neither will anything else be good itself which in conjunction with something which is of itself good becomes more eligible what therefore is the thing of this kind of which we also participate for a thing of this kind is the object of investigation those however who deny that it is good which all beings desire say nothing to the purpose for we say that the thing which appears to all beings to exist does exist but he who subverts this belief does not assert that which is very much more credible for if they denied that to be good which is desired by beings destitute of intellect there would be some truth in what they say but if they also deny that to be good which beings endued with prudence and wisdom desire how will they say anything which can be admitted perhaps also even in bad men there is a certain natural good which transcends their depravity and which aspires after its proper good neither does that which is asserted of the contrary to pleasure appear to be well said for it does not follow say they that if pain is an evil pleasure is good since evil is opposed to evil and both good and evil are opposed to that which is neither and these things indeed are asserted by them not badly yet they are not true when applied to the present subject for if both pleasure and pain were bad it would be requisite that both should be avoided but if neither is bad neither is to be avoided or each is similarly to be avoided but now indeed it appears that pain is avoided as an evil and that pleasure is chosen as a good in this manner therefore they are opposed to each other chapter three neither does it follow that if pleasure is not among the number of qualities it is not on this account good for neither are the energies of virtue qualities nor is felicity a quality they say therefore that good is definite but that pleasure is indefinite because it receives the more and the less hence if they form this judgment from the being delighted the same thing will also take place in justice and the other virtues in which men evidently assert that there is more and less of things of this kind for some are more just and brave than others it is likewise possible to act justly and to live temperately in a greater and less degree but if they admit this to take place in pleasures they do not seem to have assigned the cause of it if some pleasures indeed are unmingled but others are mingled what however hinders but that in the same manner as health which is a definite thing receives the more and the less this also may be the case with pleasure for there is not the same symmetry in all things nor is there always one certain symmetry in the same thing but suffering a remission it remains for a certain time and differs in the more and the less a thing of this kind therefore may also happen to pleasure as they likewise admit that good itself is perfect but that motions and generations are imperfect they endeavour to show that pleasure is motion and generation they do not however appear to assert this well since pleasure is not motion for to all motion swiftness and slowness appear to be appropriate and though not per se such as to the motion of the world yet they are appropriate with reference to another motion but neither of these is inherent in pleasure for it is possible indeed to be rapidly delighted in the same manner as it is possible to be swiftly enraged but it is not possible for the delight itself to be swift or slow not even with reference to something else 
It is possible, however, that walking and argumentation may be swift or slow, and everything else of the like kind. Hence it is possible to be changed quickly and slowly into pleasure, but it is not possible to energize swiftly according to it, viz. to be delighted swiftly according to it. And in what manner will pleasure be generation? For it appears that not any casual thing is generated from any casual thing, but that a thing is dissolved into that from which it was generated, and that of which pleasure is the generation, of this pain is the corruption. They also say that pain is the indigence of that which is according to nature, but that pleasure is the complete fullness of it. But these are corporeal passions. If, therefore, pleasure is the complete fullness of that which subsists according to nature, that in which this fullness takes place will also be delighted. Hence the body will be delighted, but it does not appear that this is the case. Pleasure, therefore, is not complete fullness. But complete fullness, indeed, taking place, someone may be delighted, and when cut he may be pained. This opinion, however, appears to have originated from the pleasures and pains pertaining to food. For, when we are in want of nutriment, and have been previously pained in consequence of this want, we are delighted with being completely filled. This, however, does not happen to be the case in all pleasures. For mathematical pleasures are unattended with pain, and also those sensible pleasures which subsist through the smell, and hearing, and the sight. Many recollections also, and hopes, are unattended with pain. Of what, therefore, will these be the generations? For in these there have been no previous indigence of anything, of which these may be the complete fullness. But to those who adduce disgraceful pleasures, in confirmation of this opinion, it may be said that these are not simply delectable. For it must not be admitted, that if these are delightful to those who are badly disposed, they are also simply delectable, but that they are so to these only, as neither are those things simply salubrious, or sweet, or bitter, which appear to be so to those who are diseased. Nor again are those things white, which appear to be so to those whose eyes are dimmed with rheum. It may likewise be said in reply that pleasures are indeed eligible, yet not from these things, just as to be rich is eligible, yet not by treachery, and to be well is eligible, yet not by eating any kind of food. Or it may be said that pleasures are specifically different, for those pleasures which are produced by worthy are different from those which are produced by base pursuits, and it is not possible for any one to be delighted with the pleasure of a just man who is not just, or with the pleasure of a musician who is not a lover of music, and in a similar manner in other things. A friend also, who is a different person from a flatterer, appears to evince that pleasure is not good, or that pleasures are specifically different. For it seems that the association of a friend is with a view to good, but of a flatterer with a view to pleasure. And the one is reprobated, but the other is praised, in consequence of their associations being directed to different ends. Besides, no one would choose to live, possessing a puerile understanding through the whole of life, and being delighted as much as possible with those things which are the objects of puerile delight. Nor would any one choose so to rejoice in doing something most base, as never to be grieved for having done it. We likewise earnestly apply ourselves to many things, though they should procure us no pleasure, 
such as to see, to recollect, to know, and to possess the virtues. But it makes no difference if pleasure follows these things from necessity, for we should choose these, though no pleasure should be produced from them. That pleasure, therefore, is not good itself, and that all pleasure is not eligible, appears to be evident, as likewise that some pleasures are eligible of themselves, but differ in species, or in the things from which they are produced. And thus much may suffice with respect to what is asserted by others concerning pleasure and pain. Chapter 4 What pleasure, however, is, or what kind of thing it is, will become more evident, by resuming the consideration of it from the beginning. For the sight, indeed, seems to be perfect at any time, since it is not indigent of anything, which, taking place afterwards, will give perfection to its form. But pleasure seems to resemble a thing of this kind, for it is a certain whole. Nor can a pleasure be assumed at any time, the form of which would be perfected by the accession of a longer time. Hence, neither is it motion, for all motion is in time, and is referred to a certain end. Thus, for instance, the motion which exists in building a temple is perfect, when it affects that which it desires to accomplish. It is perfect, therefore, either in the whole of the time, or in this time. But in the parts of the time, all the motions are imperfect, and are specifically different from the whole motion, and from each other. For the composition of the stones is different from the erection of the pillar at right angles. And these motions are different from the fabrication of the temple. And the motion, indeed, employed in building the temple is perfect, for it is in want of nothing to the proposed end. But the motion employed in laying the foundation and the roof is imperfect, for each pertains to a part. The motions, therefore, are specifically different, and it is not possible to assume a motion perfect in its species in any time, except the whole time. The like also takes place in walking and other motions. For if lation is a motion from one place to another, the specific differences of this motion are flying, walking, leaping, and the like. And not only so, but in walking itself there is a difference. For the motion from one place to another in walking is not the same in the stadium, and a part of the stadium, and in the different parts of it. Nor is the mutation of place the same in passing through this line and that, viz. in passing through a curve and a straight line. For not only a line is passed through, but a line existing in place. And this line is in a different place from that. We have, therefore, accurately discussed motion elsewhere, i.e., in the fifth book of the physics. Hence it appears that motion is not perfect in every time, but that the multitude of motions are imperfect, and specifically different, since they are formalized by proceeding from one place to another. The form, however, of pleasure is perfect in any time. It is evident, therefore, that motion and pleasure are different from each other and that pleasure is something whole and perfect. This would also seem to be evident from the impossibility of being moved except in time. But the possibility of being delighted without time, i.e. in an instant, for that which is affected in the now, or an instant, is a certain whole. From these things, however, it is manifest that it is not well said that pleasure is motion or generation. For motion and generation are not predicated of all things, 
but of those only which may be distributed into parts and are not wholes for there is not generation of sight nor of a point nor of the monad nor is there either motion or generation of these neither therefore is there of pleasure for it is a certain whole hence from what has been said it is evident that a certain pleasure is conjoined with every sense in energy which energizes without being impeded but the energy of the sense is perfect which is well disposed towards the most beautiful of the objects that fall under the sense for perfect energy appears to be especially a thing of this kind it is however of no consequence whether it is said that the sense itself energizes or that in which it exists but in everything the energy is the most excellent of that which is disposed in the best manner towards the most excellent of the things which are subject to it but this energy will be most perfect and most delightful for there is pleasure according to every sense and in a similar manner according to every discursive energy of the soul and every contemplation but the most perfect energy is the most delectable and that is the most perfect which is the energy of that which is well disposed towards the best of the things subject to it pleasure however perfects energy but pleasure does not perfect energy after the same manner as the object of sense perfects sense when both are in good condition just as neither are health and a physician similarly the cause of being made well it is evident however that pleasure is produced according to each of the senses for we say that things which are seen and things which are heard are delectable and it is also evident that they are especially delectable when the sense is most excellent and energizes about the most excellent object but where the sensible object and that which perceives it are things of this kind there will always be pleasure the agent and patient being present pleasure however perfects energy not as an inherent habit but as a certain supervening end such as the flower of age in those who are in their acme as long however as that which is sensible or intelligible is such as it ought to be and also that which judges or contemplates pleasure will be in energy for when that which is passive and that which is active are similar and subsisting after the same manner with reference to each other the same thing is naturally adapted to be produced how therefore does it happen that no one is continually delighted is it because he becomes at length weary for all human concerns are incapable of energizing continually neither therefore can pleasure be generated in an uninterrupted continuity for it is consequent to energy some things however delight when they are new but afterwards for this reason because pleasure cannot be generated incessantly do not similarly delight for at first indeed the discursive power of the soul inclines towards and intently energizes about these in the same manner as those who look intently at anything afterwards however an energy of this kind is no longer produced but it becomes remiss hence the pleasure also is obscured it may however be thought that all men aspire after pleasure because all of them desire to live but life is a certain energy and every one energizes about and in those things which he especially loves thus for instance the musician energizes with the hearing about the melodies 
but the lover of disciplines energizes with the discursive power of his soul about theorems and in a similar manner the lover of other pursuits but pleasure perfects energies and it likewise perfects life which is the object of desire reasonably therefore do all men aspire after pleasure for it gives perfection to the life of each which is an eligible thing we shall however omit for the present to consider whether we choose to live on account of pleasure or choose pleasure for the sake of living for these things appear to be conjoined and do not admit of being separated for pleasure is not produced without energy and pleasure gives perfection to every energy chapter five hence also pleasures appear to be specifically different for we are of opinion that things specifically different are perfected through perfections specifically different for this appears to be the case both with natural and artificial productions as for instance with animals and trees pictures and statues houses and furniture in a similar manner therefore we are of opinion that energies specifically different are perfected by things that differ in species but the energies of the discursive powers of reason differ from the energies of the senses and these are specifically different from each other hence also the pleasures which give perfection to these are specifically different this however will also become apparent from hence that each of the pleasures is intimately familiarized with the energy which it perfects for appropriate pleasures co-increase energy since those who energize in conjunction with pleasure energize about everything more accurately and with more exquisite judgment thus for instance those become more excellent geometricians who are delighted to geometrize and they understand in a greater degree everything geometrical the like also takes place with the lovers of music the lovers of architecture and the lovers of the other arts for each of these makes a proficiency in his proper employment if he delights in it pleasures therefore co-increase energies but things which co-increase are appropriate and to things which are specifically different the things also which are appropriate are specifically different again this will in a greater degree become apparent from considering that pleasures which are produced from different things are an impediment to energies for the lovers of the flute cannot attend to discourse if they hear any one playing on the flute in consequence of being more delighted with the melody of the flute than with the present energy i e than with what is said the pleasure therefore which is produced by the melody of the flute corrupts the energy of discourse and in a similar manner this also happens in other things when a man energizes at one and the same time about two things for the more delectable energy expels the other and this in a still greater degree if it very much surpasses in pleasure so as to render it impossible to energize according to the other energy hence when we are very much delighted with anything we do not in any great degree perform anything else but when we are only moderately pleased with certain things we can do others thus those who in the theatres eat sweetmeats are especially accustomed to do this when the performers act badly since however appropriate pleasure gives accuracy to energies and renders them more lasting and better but foreign pleasures corrupt them it is evident that these pleasures differ very much from each other 
For nearly foreign pleasures effect the same thing as appropriate pains, i.e. as the pains which are consequent to certain energies. Thus, if it is unpleasant and painful to any one to write, or to any one to reason, the former indeed will not write, and the latter will not reason, in consequence of the energy being painful. From appropriate pleasures and pains, therefore, that which is contrary happens about energies. But those pleasures and pains are appropriate, which are essentially consequent to energy. And, with respect to foreign pleasures, we have already observed that they affect something similar to pain. For they corrupt, though not in a similar manner. Since, however, energies differ in probity and depravity, and some of them indeed being eligible, but others to be avoided, and others being neither, pleasures also have a similar mode of subsistence. For there is an appropriate pleasure in every energy. The pleasure, therefore, which is appropriate to a worthy energy is worthy, but that which is appropriate to a bad energy is depraved. For the desires, indeed, of things truly beautiful are laudable, but of base things are blamable. The pleasures, however, which are in energies are more appropriate to the energies than desires are. For desires, indeed, are separated from energies by time and by nature. But pleasures are proximate to energies, and are so indistinct from them as to render it dubious whether energy is the same with pleasure. It does not appear, however, that pleasure is either the discursive energy of reason or sense, for it would be absurd to suppose that it is. Though on account of the inseparability of pleasure from energy, it seems to certain persons to be the same with it. As, therefore, energies are different, so likewise pleasures. But the sight differs from the touch in purity, and the hearing and the smell from the taste. Hence the pleasures also of these senses similarly differ, and those which pertain to the discursive energy of reason likewise differ, and both these differ from each other. It seems, however, that there is an appropriate pleasure to every animal, just as there also is an appropriate work. For this pleasure is that which subsists according to energy, and this will be apparent from a survey of each particular. For there is one pleasure of a horse, another of a dog, and another of a man. And, as Heraclitus says, an ass would prefer straw to gold, because food is more delectable to asses than gold. The pleasures, therefore, of animals specifically different are likewise specifically different. But it is reasonable to suppose that the pleasures of the same animals are without a specific difference. There is no small variety, however, in pleasures among men. For the same things are painful to some, and pleasing to others. And to some, indeed, they are painful and odious, but to others delectable and lovely. This, likewise, happens to be the case in sweet things. For the same things do not appear sweet to a man in a fever, and to one who is well. Nor does the same thing appear to be hot to him who is weak, and to him who is of a good habit of body. And in a similar manner this happens to be the case in other things. In all such things as these, however, that is simply delectable, which appears to be so to the worthy man. But if this is well said, as it appears that it is, and virtue is the measure of everything, and a good man so far as he is good, those things will be pleasures which appear to be so to the good man, and those things will be delectable in which he rejoices. It is, however, by no means wonderful if things which appear to him to be of a troublesome nature should to another person of a different character appear to be delectable. 
For many corruptions and noxious circumstances happen to men, but these are not simply delectable, except to these persons, and to those who are thus disposed. With respect, therefore, to those pleasures which are acknowledged to be base, it is evident that they are not to be called pleasures, except by corrupt men. But with respect to those pleasures which appear to be worthy, what is the quality of the pleasure, or what shall we say the pleasure is, which is proper to men? Or shall we say that this is evident from energies? For pleasures are consequent to these. Whether, therefore, there is one energy, or whether there are many energies of the perfect and blessed man, the pleasures which give perfection to these may be properly called the pleasures of man. But the remaining pleasures, in the same manner as the energies, may be denominated the pleasures of man, secondarily and multifariously. Chapter 6 Having therefore spoken concerning the virtues, and friendships, and pleasures, it remains that we should delineate felicity, since we admit that it is the end of human concerns. Hence, by recapitulating what we have before said, the discussion will be more concise. We have said, then, that felicity is not a habit, for, if it were, it might be present with him who passes the whole of his life in sleep, living the life of a plant, and also with him who is involved in the greatest calamities. If, therefore, these things cannot be admitted, but felicity must rather be referred to a certain energy, as we have before observed, but of energies some are necessary and eligible on account of other things, and others are eligible of themselves. If this be the case, it is evident that felicity must be admitted to be some one of the energies which are of themselves eligible, and not one of those which are eligible on account of something else. For felicity is not indigent of anything, but is sufficient to itself. But those energies are eligible of themselves, from which nothing except the energy is the object of investigation. But the actions which are conformable to virtue appear to be things of this kind. For to perform beautiful and worthy deeds is among the number of things which are of themselves eligible, and among diversions. This is also the case with those that are delectable, since they are not chosen on account of other things. For those who are addicted to them are rather injured than benefited in consequence of neglecting their bodies and possessions. Many of those, however, who are said to be happy men fly to diversions, on which account those who are versatile in such like methods of spending their time are esteemed by tyrants, for they render themselves pleasing in those things which they desire, and they are in want of persons of this description. These things, therefore, appear to pertain to felicity, because men in authority and power are at leisure for these. Perhaps, however, persons of this description are no indication that these things pertain to felicity. For neither virtue nor intellect, from which worthy energies proceed, consist in dominion and power. Nor, if these men, not having tasted of genuine and liberal pleasure, fly to corporeal pleasures, must it be supposed that on this account these pleasures are more eligible. For children also fancy that things which are honoured by them are the best of things. It is reasonable, therefore, to admit that as different things appear to be honourable to children and men, so likewise to bad and worthy men. Hence, as we have frequently said, those things are honourable and delectable which are so to the worthy man. But the energy to every one is most eligible, which is according to an appropriate habit, and to the worthy man the energy is most eligible, which is according to virtue. 
Felicity, therefore, does not consist in diversions. For it is absurd to admit that diversion is the end, i.e. the chief good of man, and that the whole of life is to be busily employed, and molestations endured for the sake of indulging in sports, since, as I may say, we choose all things for the sake of something else, except felicity, for this is the end. But to act seriously, and to labor for the sake of diversion, appears to be foolish, and very puerile. He, however, who engages in sports, in order that he may act seriously, which Anacharsis thought was proper, appears to be right. For diversion resembles repose. But as men are incapable of laboring incessantly, they require relaxation. Relaxation, however, is not an end, for it subsists for the sake of energy. But a happy life appears to be conformable to virtue, and this is a worthy life, and does not consist in amusements. We likewise say that serious pursuits are better than those that are ridiculous, and accompanied with jesting and sport, and that the energy of the better part, and the better man, is always more worthy. But the energy of that which is better is more excellent, and more adapted to felicity. Any casual person, also, and a slave, may enjoy corporeal pleasures, no less than the best of men. No one, however, would ascribe felicity to a slave, unless they also ascribe to him a worthy life. For felicity does not consist in sports, in corporeal pleasures, but in the energies according to virtue, as we have before observed. Chapter 7 If, however, felicity is an energy according to virtue, it is reasonable to suppose that it is an energy according to the most excellent virtue, and this will be the virtue of the most excellent part or power. Whether, therefore, this be the intellect, or something else which appears to rule, and be the leader by nature, and to have a conception of things beautiful and divine, or whether it is itself divine, or the most divine of all our parts, the energy of this, according to its proper virtue, will be perfect felicity. But we have said that this energy is contemplative, and this appears to accord with what we before asserted, and also with truth. For this energy is the most excellent, since intellect is the best of all our parts, and of objects of knowledge, those are the most excellent, about which intellect is conversant. This energy also is most continued, for we are able to contemplate more incessantly than to perform any action whatever. We likewise think that pleasure ought to be mingled with felicity, but the energy according to wisdom is acknowledged to be the most delectable of all the energies according to virtue. Wisdom, therefore, appears to possess pleasures admirable both for their purity and stability. It is reasonable also to think that those who possess knowledge live more pleasantly than those who investigate. That, too, which is called self-sufficiency will especially subsist about the contemplative energy. For, of the necessaries of life, the wise and the just man, and the rest of those who possess the moral virtues, are in want, but even when they are sufficiently supplied with these, the just man is in want of those towards whom, and together with whom, he may act justly. And in like manner, the temperate and the brave man, and each of the rest. But the wise man, when alone, is able to contemplate, and by how much the wiser he is, by so much the more does he possess this ability. Perhaps, indeed, he will contemplate better when he has others to cooperate with him, but at the same time he is most sufficient to himself. 
This energy alone, likewise, will appear to be beloved for its own sake, for nothing else is produced from it besides contemplation. But from things of a practical nature, we obtain something more or less besides the action itself. Felicity also appears to consist in leisure, for we engage in business, that we may be at leisure, and we wage more, that we may live in peace. The energies, therefore, of the political virtues consist either in political or in military transactions, but the actions which are conversant with these appear to be full of employment. This, indeed, is perfectly the case with military transactions, for no one chooses to wage war, or prepare for it, for the sake of waging war, since he would appear to be perfectly a homicide who should make enemies of his friends, for the sake of fighting and slaughter. The energy, too, of the politician is of a busy nature, and, besides the management of public affairs, is employed in procuring dominion and honour, or a felicity for himself and the citizens different from the political energy, which also, as something different, we evidently investigate. If, therefore, political and military actions surpass in beauty and magnitude all other virtuous actions, but these are of a busy nature, aspire after a certain end, and are not eligible for their own sakes. But the energy of intellect, which is contemplative, appears to excel other energies in ardor, and to desire no other end besides itself. If, also, it possesses a proper pleasure, which increases its energy, and has, in addition to this, self-sufficiency, leisure, and unwearied power, so far as the condition of human nature will permit, with whatever else is attributed to the blessed, and appears to subsist according to this energy, if such be the case, this will be the perfect felicity of man, when it receives a perfect length of life. For nothing belonging to felicity is imperfect. Such a life, however, will be more excellent than that which is merely human. For man will not thus live so far as he is man, but so far as he contains in himself something divine. And as much as this part excels the composite, so much does its energy surpass the energy belonging to every other virtue. If, therefore, intellect is divine with respect to man, the life also, according to intellect, will be divine with respect to human life. Nor ought we, according to the exhortation of certain persons, to be wise in human affairs, since we are men, nor to regard mortal concerns, since we are mortal, but as much as possible we should immortalize ourselves, and do everything in order to live according to our most excellent part. For this part, though it is small in bulk, far excels all things in power and dignity. It would seem also that each of us is this part, since that which obtains dominion is also more excellent. It would therefore be absurd for a man not to choose his own life, but the life of something else. That too which was before asserted accords with what is now said, for that which is intimately allied to any nature is most excellent and pleasant to that nature, and hence a life according to intellect will be most excellent and pleasant to man, since this part is most eminently man. This life, therefore, is also most happy. Chapter 8 But that felicity ranks in the second place, which subsists according to another virtue. For the energies according to this virtue are human. For we act justly, and bravely, and perform other things conformable to the virtues, towards each other, in contracts, in necessaries, in all various actions, 
and in the passions, preserving to every one that which is fit and decorous. All these things, however, appear to be human. Some things likewise appear to happen from the body, and the virtue of manners is in many instances conjoined, and rendered familiar, with the passions. Prudence also is conjoined with the virtue of manners, and the virtue of manners with prudence, since the principles indeed of prudence subsist according to the ethical virtues, and the rectitude of the ethical virtues subsists according to prudence. These, however, are connected with the passions, and will subsist about the composite, or that which consists of soul and body. But the virtues of the composite are human. The life, therefore, and the felicity conformable to them will also be human. The felicity, however, of intellect is separate, for thus much may be asserted concerning it, since to discuss it accurately is a greater undertaking than is adapted to the present treatise. It would also seem that this felicity requires but little of external supply, or less than ethical felicity. For let it be admitted that both require necessaries, and this equally, bracket, though the political character labours in a greater degree about the body and things of this kind, close bracket, since this is but of small consequence, yet it makes a great difference with respect to energies. For the liberal man will be in want of wealth in order to perform liberal deeds, and also the just man in order to make retributions. For the wills of men are immanifest, and those who are not just pretend they wish to act justly. But the brave man will be in want of power in order to effect something conformable to the virtue of fortitude. And the temperate man will be in want of the means of acting temperately. For how will this man, or he who possesses any one of the other virtues, become manifest? It becomes, however, an object of inquiry whether deliberate choice possesses greater authority in virtue, or whether it is possessed by actions, virtue subsisting in both these. It is evident, therefore, that the perfect will be in both. But many things are requisite to the perfection of actions, and in proportion, as they are greater and more beautiful, a greater number of things are necessary. To him, however, who energizes according to theoretic virtue, there is no need of things of this kind, so far as pertains to this energy. But, as I may say, they are impediments to his contemplation. Yet, so far as he is a man, and lives with many others, he also chooses to perform actions conformable to virtue. He will, therefore, require external things, in order that he may act like a man. But that perfect felicity is a certain contemplative energy may become apparent from hence that we consider the gods to be especially blessed and happy. What kind of actions, however, is it fit to ascribe to them? Shall we say just actions? Or will they not appear ridiculous if they form contracts and return deposits and do other things of the like kind? Shall we say then that they are brave, sustaining things of a terrible nature and encountering dangers because it is beautiful so to do? Or that they are liberal, but to whom will they give? It would, however, be absurd to suppose that there is money with them, or anything of this kind. And if they are temperate, what will this temperance be? Or is not the praise unapt which celebrates them as not having depraved desires? But if we should enumerate everything pertaining to actions, it would appear to be small and unworthy of the gods. All men, however, acknowledge that they live, and therefore that they energize, for it must not be supposed that they pass their life in sleep, like Endymion. Hence, if action is taken away from that which lives, 
and in a still greater degree production what remains except contemplation so that the energy of god since it excels in blessedness will be contemplative and of human energies therefore that which is most allied to this energy of god will be most adapted to procure felicity but as an indication of the truth of this other animals which are perfectly deprived of an energy of this kind do not partake of felicity for the whole life of the gods is indeed blessed but that of men is blessed so far as they possess a certain similitude of such an energy as this of other animals however no one is happy because they do not in any respect participate of contemplation as far therefore as contemplation extends itself so far also is felicity extended and the felicity of those beings is greater in whom there is more of the contemplative energy and this not from accident but according to contemplation for this is of itself honourable hence felicity will be a certain contemplation external prosperity however will be requisite to him who energizes according to theoretic virtue since he is a man for human nature is not sufficient to itself for the purposes of contemplation but it is also requisite that the body should be well and that it should be supplied with food and other necessaries it must not however be supposed that because it is not possible for a man to be blessed without external goods the happy man will therefore require many of these and such as are great for neither a condition of being sufficient to itself nor judgment nor action consists in an excess of external goods but it is possible for those who have no dominion over the earth and sea to perform beautiful deeds since a man from moderate possessions may be able to act according to virtue the truth of this however may be clearly seen for private persons appear to act no less equitably but even more so than potentates but moderate possessions are sufficient for this purpose for the life of him will be happy who energizes according to virtue and solon perhaps well defined those who are happy by saying that they are such as are moderately furnished with external possessions and who perform the most beautiful actions and live temperately since it is possible for those whose possessions are but moderate to do those things which ought to be done anaxagoras likewise appears to have thought that the happy man was neither the rich man nor the potentate when he says quote, that it would not be at all wonderful if i should be considered by the multitude as an absurd and miserable man for the multitude judge from external circumstances having a sensible perception of these alone the opinions also of the wise seem to accord with these assertions things of this kind therefore are attended with a certain credibility a judgment however is to be formed of the truth in practical affairs from deeds and the life for in these that which possesses principal authority consists hence it is requisite to consider what has been before said by referring it to the deeds and the life of a man and when the assertions accord with deeds they are to be admitted but when they are dissonant they are to be considered as nothing but words but the man who energizes according to intellect who cultivates this and is mentally disposed in the best manner is also it would seem most dear to divinity for if any attention is paid by the gods to human affairs as it appears there is it is also reasonable to suppose that they will be delighted with that which is most excellent and most allied to themselves but this is intellect and likewise that they will remunerate those who especially love and honour this as taking care of that which is dear to themselves and acting rightly and well
It is, however, not immanifest that all these things are especially present with the wise man. Hence, he is the most dear to divinity. It is also probable that the same man is most happy. So that thus, also, the wise man will be especially happy. Chapter 9 Are we therefore to think that if these things and the virtues, and likewise friendship and pleasure, have been sufficiently delineated, our purpose is completely effected? Or shall we say, as has been before observed, that the end in practical affairs is not to survey and know each particular, but rather to perform it? Neither, therefore, is it sufficient in virtue to know it, but there should also be an endeavour to possess and use it. Or in some other way must we strive to become good men? If, therefore, words were sufficient of themselves to make men worthy, they ought justly, as Theognis says, to be valued at a great price, and it would be necessary to procure them. Now, however, they appear to be sufficiently powerful to exhort and excite liberal young men, and to make those whose manners are noble, and who are truly lovers of beautiful conduct, obedient to virtue. But they are incapable of exhorting the multitude to probity. For the multitude are not naturally adapted to be obedient from shame, but from fear, nor to abstain from bad conduct through the disgrace with which it is attended, but through punishment. For, living from passion, they pursue their pleasures, and those things through which they may be procured, but they avoid the pains opposed to these. They have not, however, any conception of that which is beautiful in conduct and truly delectable, in consequence of not having tasted of it. What discourse, therefore, can dispose such men to orderly conduct? For it is not possible, or at least it is not easy, to obliterate by words things which have been for a long time impressed in the manners. But perhaps we must be satisfied, if everything being present with us, through which we are accustomed to become worthy, we may be able to partake of virtue. Some, however, are of opinion that men become good from nature, others that they become good from custom, and others from doctrine. As to goodness from nature, therefore, it is evident that this is not in our power, but that it is inherent in those who are truly fortunate, through a certain divine cause. But it must be considered whether it is not true that words and precepts are not accompanied with power towards all men. But it is requisite that the soul of the auditor should have been previously excited by manners to rejoice and hate properly, like land which is intended to nourish seed. For he who lives under the influence of passion will not attend to the reasoning which dissuades him from such a life. How, therefore, is it possible to induce one who is so disposed to alter his mode of conduct? In short, passion does not appear to yield to reason, but to violence. Hence it is necessary that manners should pre-exist in a certain respect appropriate to virtue, in order that their possessor may love what is beautiful, and be indigent with what is disgraceful in conduct. To obtain, however, a right education for virtue from our youth is difficult, without being nurtured by laws which enforce the offices of virtue. For to live temperately and accustomed to endurance is not pleasing to the multitude, and especially to youth. Hence it is necessary that education, studies, and pursuits should be ordained by laws, for by custom they will cease to be painful. But perhaps it is not sufficient for youth to obtain a right education, and to have proper attention paid to them. But it is also necessary, when they have arrived at the perfection of manhood, that they should study and be accustomed to these things and in these we shall likewise require the assistance of the laws, and in short, through the whole of life. 
for the multitude are more obedient to necessity than to reason and to punishment than to the beautiful in conduct hence some persons are of the opinion that legislators ought indeed to excite men to virtue and exhort them to it for the sake of the beautiful in conduct because worthy men will precedaneously from their manners obey their exhortations but that castigations and punishments should be inflicted on those who disobey them and who are naturally more unapt and that the incurable should be entirely exterminated from the community for say they the worthy man and he who lives with a view to the beautiful in conduct will be obedient to reason but the bad man who aspires after pleasure is to be punished by pain like a beast of burden hence they add it is necessary that such pains should be employed as are especially contrary to the pleasures which they embrace if therefore as we have said it is requisite that he who is to be a good man should be well educated and accustomed to virtuous conduct and afterwards should thus live in worthy studies and pursuits and neither unwillingly nor willingly perform base deeds and if these things may happen to those who live conformably to certain intellect and right order possessing power and strength if this be the case the paternal mandate indeed is neither accompanied with strength nor necessity nor in short the mandate of one man unless he is a king or a person endued with a similar authority but the law possesses a necessarily compelling power being a mandate proceeding from a certain prudence and intellect and those indeed who are adverse to the impulses of depraved men though they are right in so doing are hated by the multitude law however when it ordains what is equitable is not attended with molestation but in the city of the lacedaemonians alone the legislator appears to have paid attention to education and studies or pursuits while in most cities things of this kind are neglected and every one after the manner of the cyclops lives as he pleases Quote, by these no statutes and no rights are known no council held no monarch fills the throne but high on hills or airy cliffs they dwell or deep in caves whose entrance leads to hell each rules his race his neighbour not his care heedless of others to his own severe it is best therefore that a common and right attention should be paid to the citizens and that there should be an ability of effecting this but if these things are neglected in common it would seem to be fit that every one should contribute to the promotion of his children and friends in virtue or should predetermine to do so from what has been said however it would seem that this may especially be effected by him who possesses the power of a legislator for attentions to the general welfare are effected through the laws but equitable attentions are accomplished through worthy men it does not however seem to make any difference whether the laws are written or unwritten nor whether one person or many are disciplined by them as neither does it make any difference in music and gymnastic and other disciplines for as in cities legal institutions and manners are efficacious so in families paternal mandates and manners and they are still more efficacious on account of alliance and the benefits conferred by parents on their children for children previous to these mandates loved their parents and are naturally disposed to be obedient to them farther still private differs from public education in the same manner as in medicine particular differ from universal prescriptions for universally indeed abstinence and quiet are advantageous to one who has a fever but to this particular person perhaps they are not and he who is a master in the pugilistic art 
will not perhaps enjoin the same mode of fighting to all his pupils it would seem however that particulars will be more accurately managed when private attention is paid to them for then each individual will in a greater degree obtain that which is adapted to him but the physician the master of gymnastic exercises and every other artist will in the best manner pay attention to an individual if they know universally what is beneficial to all persons or to persons of a certain description for sciences are said to be and are in reality of that which is common nothing however perhaps hinders but that a man may pay attention to one certain thing in a proper manner though he is destitute of science while he accurately surveys from experience what happens to each particular thing just as some persons appear to be most excellent physicians to themselves but are unable to give medical assistance to another person perhaps however it would seem notwithstanding this to be no less requisite for him who wishes to become an artist and to be theoretic to proceed to that which is universal and to know this as far as it can be known for we have already observed that sciences are conversant with this perhaps also it is requisite that he who wishes to make others better by the attention which he pays to them whether they be many or few should endeavour to become skilled in legislation if we can be rendered good men through the laws hence it is not the province of any casual person to render some man or one committed to his care fitly disposed to become virtuous but if it belongs to any one to effect this it is the province of the man of science just as in medicine and the other arts to which a certain attention and prudence pertain it is requisite therefore after this to consider whence or how a man may acquire a legislative skill or in other arts is this to be learned from those who are conversant with the management of public affairs for this appears to be a part of the political science or shall we say that a similar thing does not seem to take place in the political science and the other sciences and powers for in the others the same persons are seen to impart the powers and to energize from them as is evident in physicians and painters but the sophists profess indeed to teach politics yet no one of them acts in a political capacity and it would seem that those who are engaged in the management of public affairs do this by a certain power and experience rather than by the exercise of the reasoning faculty for they do not appear either to write or speak about things of this kind though perhaps this would be better than to compose forensic or popular orations nor again is it seen that they have made either their own children political characters or some other children of their friends it is reasonable however to suppose that they would have done this if they had been able for neither could they have left anything better to cities nor could they have deliberately chosen anything more excellent than this power either for themselves or their dearest friends nevertheless experience appears to contribute in no small degree to the management of public affairs for otherwise men would not become more political through being accustomed to political affairs hence experience seems to be necessary to those who desire to be skilful in the political science those sophists however who profess to teach the political science appear to be very far from possessing this ability for in short they neither know what kind of a thing it is nor what the things are with which it is conversant for if they did they would not suppose it to be the same with the rhetorical art or inferior to it nor would they think it easy for him to act the part of a legislator who has collected the most celebrated and approved laws since they say that the best laws are to be selected just as if the selection did not require intelligence 
or as if to judge rightly was not one of the greatest of things in the same manner as in what pertains to music for skilful men judge rightly respecting the works in which they are skilled and understand through what means or in what manner they may be accomplished and what the appropriate adaptations of them are but to the unskilful it is sufficient not to be ignorant whether a work is well or ill done in the same manner as in the painter's art laws however resemble political works how therefore can any one be adapted to become a legislator from these or to judge which of them are the best for neither does it appear that men become skilled in medicine by reading medical books though these books not only endeavour to point out the cures but likewise the remedies which are to be applied and the methods of cure distinguishing also the habits of each person it seems however that these things are beneficial to skilful persons but useless to the unscientific perhaps therefore collections of laws and politics may be useful to those who are able to survey and judge what is well established or the contrary and what the appropriate adaptations are in these but those who discuss things of this kind without the political habit will never be able to judge well except from chance though perhaps they will become more intelligent in these particulars since therefore the politicians prior to us have omitted to investigate legislation it will perhaps be better for us to consider it more attentively and in short to discuss a polity universally in order that the philosophy which pertains to human affairs may as much as possible be brought to perfection in the first place therefore if anything has been well said by the ancients on this subject we shall endeavour to relate it in the next place from the collections which have been made of polities we shall endeavour to survey what the nature is of the things which preserve and corrupt cities and the several polities and from what causes some of them are well but others ill-governed for these things being surveyed perhaps we shall be able in a greater degree to perceive what kind of polity is the best how each is to be arranged and what laws and manners it should use we shall begin therefore the discussion of politics End of Book 10 End of the Nicomachean Ethics by Aristotle Translated by Thomas Taylor